0: Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of How's That Day, a culture rundown with Tom and Phil. I'm Phil Have here to introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Tom Bond. Each week, Tom and I get together to chat about how our days have been going, and together we work through our thoughts on what's been going on in pop culture. Uh, this week has been a particularly crazy week, and uh, just this week alone to talk about... Uh, is a lot so I just wanted to say up front here's some of the things that have happened this week we're recording this on uh, May 29th uh, it's uh, almost it's 30 minutes till the 30th so uh, time timestamp that the episode will come out a little bit later but uh, so far this week we've had uh, Amy Cooper in Central Park strangling her dog while she lied to the police about a black man uh, and she threatened to sick the police on him Uh, Followed by the murder of George Floyd by Officer Derek Chauvin, a white officer with 18 prior complaints against him, only two of which he was apparently disciplined for. Uh, Whatever those disciplines were, we don't know yet. Uh, And as communities and cities around the country waited for his arrest, uh, which happened today, protests and riots erupted. And during those riots, we've seen videos of police officers pepper spraying bystanders, arresting news crews, and using forceful tactics that are in a direct contrast with the armed militias who stormed the capitals several weeks ago with heavy artillery demanding haircuts. Uh, Those white men were treated with patience and praise from the president. That president, meanwhile, has spent this week on Twitter spreading a long-debunked rumor, uh, or I should say conspiracy theory, about Joe Scarborough murdering an aide in his office in the 90s, Um, He's not commented or shown any remorse for the 100,000 dead and still dying from the coronavirus and he has spent the bulk of the week writing an emergency executive order in a rage because Twitter had the nerve to suggest that a lie he said about voter fraud may in fact not be true and you should maybe look into it a little bit. Not to mention his comments later on that night were taken down because he quoted a racist leader from the 1960s when he tweeted, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. So our country's on fire, there's no vaccine, unemployment has skyrocketed, we've officially hit 100,000 dead, there's no one leading the ship in Washington, and who the hell even knows if we'll be able to have fair elections this November between Russian propaganda, Facebook being a monster, and the coronavirus. So with all that in mind, Tom, how's that day? Pretty good. How about you? Yeah, it's just an average day here. An uh, average day. Yeah, quarantine. yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: went for a walk. Things are good. Uh, you know the usual. Uh, that was great, Phil. Thank you for that. Um, very articulate, concise, and accurate introduction to the uh, modern hellscape that we currently find ourselves in in this country.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I it was just so much that happened this week. I was like I just need to sit down and type it all out because like I will lose track if we or we won't even be able to mention everything if I just kind of go off the dome.
1: Yeah, we should do that more often. This that was the first time I felt like, wow, we're this could be a real podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, um we should type things more. Yeah, we should do do work. Um but this is fun and it's also Uh, work sometimes but necessary work i think that was necessary it felt as especially you know right now we're still even though the country is starting to open up in certain places more so than in others but we're in los angeles where you and i reside we're seeing the city start to open up a little bit more that said you know we're we're going into month three of quarantine uh general stay-at-home order so it is Um, particularly uniquely frustrating I think to see what's been going on this week and as someone like myself who is home alone who lives alone minus my three cats um, it was nice to hear you so eloquently kind of just lay out the frustrations that we're dealing with this week uh, the injustice that we're seeing and personally, I feel a lot like I'm screaming into the void and don't have, uh, an outlet to voice my frustrations. And I like that we have this podcast where, uh, we can bounce those frustrations and get our feelings out, um, to another person. So thank you for, for starting off the podcast with all that. I know, you know, whoever does listen to this podcast, uh, Obviously, a lot of it is culture-based. We like to talk about movies and music and stuff like that. But this stuff is important. Um, This is stuff that you and I care about. We're both uh, political and news enthusiasts. And um, this is stuff that's on both of our minds quite a bit. And it would feel uh, inauthentic and kind of false for us not to talk about this. Because it's dominated yours and mine texting conversations all week. Um. It's the biggest thing that's happening in our country right now. You know, this is where we're it's like I was telling you last night. I feel like this is the most unstable our country has been in over 50 years.
0: Yeah. Um, um, It
1: just just feels that way.
0: Earlier this week, uh, Shell started enforcing this rule of like, don't you're not allowed to pull up Twitter in bed. Uh, cause like at the end of the night earlier this week was like, I, I was like, oh, you haven't seen the Amy Cooper video. And I showed her that and it started this whole like debate about race and kind of like how, cause she was much more focused on the dog. She's an animal lover and a vegan and like was very concerned about the dog. And I was like, well, hold on, let's talk about some of this other stuff. And it, we had this like heated argument, not, a, not even an argument, but like a, just a discussion about like, you know, what- an emotionally
1: charged discussion.
0: Yeah. And it just, you know, yeah. not against each other, but it was just like, a a a heated conversation about a heated topic and she was just like okay we can't like do this anymore like i can't go to sleep now because uh, of this and so like no more this and then like i'll just lay in bed this week and i like pulled up twitter like yesterday or maybe even earlier tonight uh and it was a video of a police officer like grabbing a young girl and like throwing her like six feet into the street corner like because she was just like near him as he was like walking through the street she was a protester And it's just and I was like, Jesus, like you can't pull up social media this week without being inundated with uh, images and that are horrifying and more videos. I've seen like four different videos of police brutality this week. Um, It's just it's horrible. And like you said, yeah, we would be negligent to not mention that this has basically dominated our entire week. As much as we enjoy pop culture, I think we've in some ways needed it more than. Well, we've needed it as a distraction more than ever because like we can't even turn on our phones anymore or the TV without being inundated with the horrors of what's happening in like 10 different arenas of life in this country right now.
1: Yeah. That, you know, I have friends who I talk to every day who I love, who sometimes get frustrated and annoyed with me when I try to bring it up in conversation. Um, and, you know, I think, on some level that it's, it's fair to have that reaction because maybe, you know, they're in their private life. They're working out their feelings about all of this and they come to, you know, their phones to talk to their buddies as a, as a distraction from that. But I, I can't really do that, especially in in a week like this, um, where it's, it's just been so upsetting to see what's been happening. And, you know, the, there's this there's this urge constantly to kind of unplug from it all and distract yourself with other things and not think about it. I know I've mentioned uh, in past week since uh, we rebooted this pod that I had stopped using Twitter um, with nowhere near the same frequency I used to. Uh, this week kind of pulled me back in just because of everything that was going on. Um, but I think that uh, Shell... That, that's a great rule because um, Twitter can easily suck you in and bring you into an emotional tailspin where uh, you feel and I'm speaking for myself now so sorry for projecting yeah no this onto no you, no
0: we like I said she, she she banned it from the bedroom at night
1: yeah because I'll, I'll go into a t- an emotional tailspin and just start feeling so hopeless about the state of the country um, I've never felt this way about America before in my lifetime it's very very disheartening and horrifying and it makes me so angry um and i try to do what i can like i uh donated to um this uh minnesota defense fund i'm blanking on the name of it i apologize the
0: one that's for people who were arrested during the protests.
1: yes and uh you know i post about it on instagram just you know as, as a solidarity but like that it helps a little bit, but it doesn't really. Um...
0: I think that helplessness is probably some of the people's unwillingness or fear of talking about it is like, well, what can I do about it? Nothing. I think that's how a lot of people feel and it can be overwhelming, which
1: isn't true.
0: Yeah, it's not true. You, you could... can't you can
1: everyone can do something.
0: Yeah. That. And um, I also like you said, it's so much easier just to like turn it off or disengage if you can. I think black people would argue like, well, we can't we don't have that luxury that you guys exactly. have to turn it away and just like well I'm going to go to my whatever house and watch movies all day. And yeah, so I I think that and I think you and I as people who follow it very closely and I think have a firm grasp on how we feel about most of the issues really kind of makes it more uh I think not difficult for us but as people who are at least engaged with the ideas on a regular basis and kind of when we see something happen, it can immediately spark a memory of some hypocrisy, you know, or something like that. Whereas people who are only kind of casually following it might not, they'll be like, what are you so angry about? You'd be like, this is, William Barr did this thing two weeks ago. You'd have to know about it or something, you know, like, and there's a little bit of that where it's just, there's so much happening and it's confusing and, you know, there's so much misinformation out there. It's just, yeah, it's overwhelming and it's, it's easy to shut down, but you know, I don't think we, we should. And I think, Michelle Shell and I have been having multiple conversations this week, I think, about just like, well, what can we do? Like, I think her and I have that desire to like, we want to be more active as we get older and quit just being people who, you know, post about it on a social media or, you know, like a post from a celebrity. You know, we want to do more than that and actually contribute. And, you know, I th- hopefully we, in the next few years, I think we can hopefully find some new ways to do that. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, plenty of places to go here in Los Angeles. So I, I definitely it's becoming more important to me the older I get. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've s- several things anyone can do immediately uh, donate their time or money to a, a fund or a cause that is working towards social justice, calling a politician's office, your local senator, your local congressman or woman, letting them know. Uh, I know they're, you know, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of politically motivated people on social media will always give you posts and even scripts. If you're afraid to do something like that, to, to to just, you know, verbatim say, my name is so-and-so, you represent my district, I'm upset about the whatever social issue, whether this week it was the murder of George Floyd, and I want to see those four police officers brought to justice, you said finally that the at least the one officer who put his knee in George Floyd's neck for almost 10 minutes straight, and killed him, was finally charged today with murder. Thank God that would not have happened without these protests Um, and without the video. No, it
0: wouldn't have. Yeah. He would be, I mean, we, it's almost like, yeah, like those other 18 complaints he would have gone for. He would have been like, Oh yeah, some freak accident. And he would have just
1: exactly. And we just forget that it was what less than two weeks ago, the murder in Atlanta, the white father and son who I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the victim's name. Yeah, but they right
0: now pull up in the and they shoot him out as neighborhood guards or whatever the hell they wanted to call themselves they were you know they thought he was looting and they just pulled up with a truck and bl- blew him away with a shotgun
1: and they absolutely would have gotten away with it if not for uh video going public like the the story going viral they, they were going to get away with it it was not until the public outcry happened
0: Ahmad arbery by the thin... way is his name
1: thank you yeah. uh Nothing was going to happen until public outcry uh, as a result of this information getting out. So any one of these stories that happened this week would have been national news dominated the news cycle for days. And it's all happening so fast and so frequently. And it's very frustrating. And like you said, you wonder about what can I do. this feeling of helplessness, especially for white people, which makes them kind of tune out distract themselves look away we, we had, in my opinion we had reached a point long before George Floyd um, we had reached the point of no return on that where if you were no longer trying to help in some way or at least stating what side of this you're on we were long past the point of just a lack of awareness and putting your head in the sand was okay like that's that's no longer appropriate in my opinion and if you continue to do that especially if you come from a place of privilege you are you're part of the problem at this yeah. point everyone needs to be engaged on this this is an epidemic that is happening the statistics don't lie about it this is a true epidemic happening in our country and to just remove yourself from the conver- conversation hurts the potential progress that people are trying to make towards changing this massive problem in our country you can no longer be silent about something like this it's too big of a problem it's been happening for way too long and progress just hasn't been made and uh, people people frankly need to take a stand and that's why you're seeing these protests erupt not even just in minnesota where the killing of george floyd took place you're seeing it happen all over the country right now it was in denver it was in atlanta it was in Boston, it's everywhere, you know, because people are fed up and yeah, you, you have to stand on a side now. You can't toe the line anymore.
0: And it's a, it is a problem and it's a white people problem. Uh, like, let's yes. be clear about that. Like white people need to be honest with themselves, be honest about the flaws in their own mentality and the holes in their educations. And it's okay to not know things or to be afraid or to not understand certain aspects of another culture. Um... It's a, you know, it's okay if you didn't grow up around black people. that doesn't make you you know a bad person, but like it does become apparent on you to understand that about yourself like, oh, I didn't grow up around black people, so maybe I don't understand black people at all and I shouldn't speak about how they should behave. And uh, I, I, as someone who grew up in a predominantly wealthy uh, middle upper class background with uh, nothing but white people, Uh, So many people that I, this is one of the reasons I'm so happy I had to get off Facebook was because they look at the, the looting and the riots and they are like, well, see, you know, they're destroying their own homes and they're destroying their own businesses. Like they, so I, I don't know what to do with these people and they don't see the reason behind it. They don't, they're not willing to listen to the message behind what's caused that. They're not looking into history. They're not taking anything. And it's amazing because I don't know how you can go from fucking, Do the right thing commenting on it in the late 80s to Rodney King in 1994 to, you know, Eric Garner saying the exact same words a couple years ago to this now and then somehow argue that we don't have a policing problem in this country. And, you know, or, yeah,
1: you know, people try to they try to protest peacefully and that's where shut up and dribble came from. Right. When LeBron James tried to spearhead peaceful protesting before basketball games that tons of athletes happened that's why the kneeling started with Colin Kaepernick and those same people that you used to follow on Facebook from back home same thing with my uh where I grew up where I I'm sorry where I grew up those same people were saying how dare they kneel and disrespect our flag and then of course they move on to protesting and of course it escalates because you're not listening to them they yeah, don't that's... they don't want they don't want to steal a television <laughs> like a, a protest and a riot is not about getting a free tv that's insane for you to believe that it's because people aren't listening to them and beyond that just to be to get hyper specific about what we're seeing recently did you see one of the first acts of violence that was caught on film the the blowing out of all the windows at an auto oh, zone yeah. shop and yeah, the white guy by the, the white the it was this white guy yeah. Was it actually a cop? Were they able I've, to confirm that? I've seen that?
0: that. I haven't seen it confirmed, so I don't necessarily want to 100% you know, say that, but I've, what, seen, that. Yeah, I've well, seen that
1: idea, yeah. I've I've heard that idea, too. I, I don't know if that's true, so I don't want to say that. But what I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I saw the entire video, including the lead-up to it and the actual act of him smashing the windows, was it was a white guy, like heavily armored and disguising his face but you could tell he was a white man who was not part of any protest who was not enraged or impassioned just calmly going up to a bunch of windows at an auto zone and smashing each one while all the protesters are around him saying dude stop why are you doing that yeah i saw the video yeah not even inciting not even trying to incite the violence this was clearly some white guy who was trying who's either some creep loner or had some more nefarious political reason to try to create this actual violence during the protest so they could pin it on the protesters so then president trump could go out on twitter and call them a bunch of thugs which is exactly what happened yeah and then so it's so fucking frustrating man it's ah god and you, yeah and it, you have these really you upsetting. have
0: these protesters who are um, The reason that these protesters are not arriving at a scene and throwing punches at cops, what's happening is these cops are getting scared and they're being far more aggressive and pulling out fucking SWAT units on these people and firing tear gas at them. And that's when people start fighting back because, you know, if you get punched, maybe you're not going to just take it because this person's, you know, a generic person behind a mask that's just hitting at you. You know, a lot of people are going to be like, no, fuck you. I'm hitting you back. I don't care that you're a cop. And it's these tensions escalate. And like you said, it's because no one's listening to them and they haven't listened for years. And these, you know, the quotes that the quote that's been going around this week is from Martin Luther King Jr. About how a, a riot is the language of the unheard. And uh, yeah, and, and I think people who talk about even Martin Luther King to doing nonviolent protests and how that's the proper way have a somewhat misunderstanding of what Martin Luther King did. He actually used violent He used violence against white people in a very different way, but he was not against violence uh, in the way that you might believe he was. Uh, He knew how to use uh, to weaponize violence um, against black people and use that to his advantage. And uh, it's always been a part of this culture and like you said there's people who kneel and that's not good enough for them there's the people who are athletes there's the dixie chicks who don't like the president and they r- lose their careers and have to worry about being assassinated so like people apparently aren't allowed to protest uh or celebrities aren't allowed to voice their opinions uh or anything uh, except for these fucking losers online who are allowed to say whatever they want and um. yeah and like you said from that no one's listening they're just looking at who to blame and it's a really frustrating time it's a hard time for us being white in America to kind of deal with uh, the years of oppression that we have been in, you know inflicting on people and to kind of have to try and speak for a whole like new generation of men and try and like be like part of the thing that changes them and or younger generations from now it's like we gotta steer this ship a different direction and I feel like you and I and other white people have to take that initiative to kind of h- help to do that whatever that means yeah and know.
1: it's not just yeah no i i think i understand what you're saying and it's not just the the only people who are quote unquote allowed to say anything are the the dumb fucks online who are tweeting and posting shit on facebook they're saying it mean, the loudest back to, yeah I, but well, what I'm saying is they're not even just doing that. Like, go back to Charleston and go back to just Michigan a few weeks ago. The coronavirus protesters who wanted to reopen the country, they brought their guns out and they were protesting at the state capitol, right? And what, is, what does Trump call those people? Obviously, we remember the very fine people comment about Charleston, South Carolina. And then the protests in Michigan last week, he was calling them good people who were just frustrated, right? Yeah, yeah it, right, yeah. <laughs> And those were protests threatening violence. This is what we're seeing now over a real epidemic, not about wanting to get your hair cut and being frustrated. Now, and I'm saying that callously. I know there's a lot of frustration involved with the coronavirus, so I apologize. But we see the complete double standard at play. And at this point now in our country, the double standard goes to the highest position in our country. And he's just sitting there spouting complete untruths, spouting racism. And like you, like you said, it's one of the main stories. Twitter finally, finally, finally reacts to President Trump's tweets. And what happens? He immediately signs an order trying to limit social media websites' abilities to basically conduct their own internal morality clause.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, an posts, is, yeah, an order that is yeah, an order has completely countered the entire conservative movement's
1: ideology, but they don't care. Yes, yes, they do not care. They don't get these. They're so called free speech loving people, but they're they're anything but by following that. It's the most insane, unconstitutional bullshit ever. Ugh, I I wish I could speak more eloquently about it, but I'm just so I'm so enraged by everything right now, man. It's just so. It's so frustrating. It's so, so frustrating and sad. And my heart breaks for, you know, we're like, like you said earlier, we're a couple of white guys who grew up in sheltered suburban neighborhoods outside of major cities. We've at least lived in... In cities, in our adult lives, and we've been able to integrate a little bit with people from different cultures. You know, we both lived in Spanish Harlem for a while. We both live in Los Angeles now. And the shit you see, or at least that I see, and I know you mentioned a little bit of it, it's all the people who grew up in the same neighborhoods we grew up, who never left those neighborhoods, who seem to have the loudest voices against black people protesting and kneeling and trying to do things. The quote-unquote right way they they want to like black people want to be a part of this country in a very noble civil way and they don't let them they don't let them and that's why this happens that's why the protests we're seeing all around the country happens is because you don't let them and that's what sucks that's what's so frustrating about it all exactly
0: I mean uh, I I think we should unless you have anything else you want to add I was just gonna you know that's kind of the bummer part of this week Uh, I mean. There's been, you know, some more fun. We're gonna talk about some lighter stuff, I think, the rest of the episode, just so we can kind of yeah. alleviate this stuff. But yeah, that's definitely been on my mind. Has there been anything else going on this week with you besides just being angry at the news? Have you been I know you've been doing your walks, doing your reading? Anything else going on with you?
1: Uh yeah. Um that is that I'll I'll leave it there. Um Phil and I believe that uh Black Lives Matter. So if you listen to this podcast and you have a problem with that. Stop listening and fuck off. Basically, is how I'll leave that. Or just get get better. And if and if you're, if you're angry about it and you harbor these prejudices, and you think you're a good person, I really question why you have the belief system that you do. And if you want to talk about it, Phil and I leave our information at the end of every episode. I'll I'll talk to you. Like I would love to. I would love to hear your side of it. We'll have open ears. I would love a dialogue because. everyone can be better at this ourselves included and as angry as i've been and as much shit as i've said over the past 20 minutes let's aim for towards that yeah Um,
0: the only thing i would say add to that really quickly just like my big thing about black lives matter like that i don't think white people understand like because this is where they're like hey all lives matter and the blue lives matter movement kind of came out of And when we say Black Lives Matter, the word that's missing at the end is Black Lives Matter 2. like two they're not we're not no one is saying black lives matter more than anyone else's the entire movement is built around this idea that black people's lives when they are killed or thrown in prison or disenfranchised or unemployed or whatever it is or given worse school books than the rest of the other kids around this country we we are treating them as if their lives and their futures do not matter as much as white America does it is not about them us saying that their deaths matter more than any white death or any cop's death or any other kind of death it's about just saying that they deserve equality so anyone who's sitting there with like your blue lives matter and your all lives matter counter bullshit like i don't want to hear it go away that's what that's all i want
1: to say that's the that's the thing like i appreciate you clarifying that but everybody knows what that means and the the movement to create all lives matter and blue lives matter as a counterpoint to that we all know the true reasons behind that and it wasn't because they were misunderstanding the point of black lives matter but thank you anyway for... Uh, for be, I one, think you'd
0: be surprised, man. There's there's some people, man. I really... For I, the
1: for the one good-hearted racist who truly did not understand that, I hope Phil clarified it for you and you are no longer racist because now you understand. So you cannot be racist anymore. That
0: was the only problem.
1: Yes, exactly. Just like kneeling was not about hating the flag or the anthem. It, it stood for so much more than that. Um, so to move on, we can move on now okay. uh i have been walking i have been reading uh it's been very enjoyable i've been listening to a lot of music i've been listening to a lot of podcasts specifically comedy podcasts and uh, that's been my life i've been playing with my cats quite a bit that's been that's been my week i uh saw my uh dear dear friend and writing partner sarah this week um the one person I've socialized with throughout the quarantine, uh, even though we try to do it in a uh, social distancing way. Oh, yeah. Um, So I saw her. That was fun. We watched uh, one of the movies we're going to talk about. I watched with her. And, um, yeah, so besides all of this chaos in the country, if you can put that aside, which is, you know, obviously impossible to do, but just say hypothetically, I'm putting all that aside, it's been... An okay week for me. I, the week has not been terrible. How about you, Phil?
0: Um, I would say generally it's been okay. I think this week has been, um, the most that the oppression of both like my own personal anxieties and, uh, private stresses about, you know, general life things like bills and money and future and, you know, like travel and just kind of general life concerns that stuff mixed with, um, you know always getting on my phone and seeing uh you know the horrors of what's going on in the rest of the country and then kind of remembering that I'm stuck in quarantine and can't go anywhere and that kind of uh, not being able to go to the gym or to the movies or even going somewhere like to shop or something really basic just to kind of as a distraction really not having those i think took its toll this week more than past weeks and this was kind of the week where i had a couple days where it was just like Oh, yeah, that's it. This day is just going to be a bust. Yeah, nothing's happening today. Um, And I had a couple of those days this week, and uh, that's kind of a new thing. So I'm going to try and do better. Um, But overall, yeah, I've just been writing. I'm way too long into the first draft of my script that I've told you about. Um, It's still just a ridiculously lengthy script at this point. And uh, yeah, I'm still writing that, still just watching movies and uh, watching stuff for the podcast. But I mean, that stuff's been good. All the stuff I've been watching has been a a nice distraction. I've been watching good movies this week.
1: Yeah, we we watched some good stuff for the podcast. I'm sure you're not talking solely about those. No, Um, no, no. But that's good to hear. I mean, I'm sorry you're having bad days. We all we do all have bad days, but, you know, and I, I assume you mean with, like, you can't even go shopping as a distraction. Obviously, we can, we can go to the grocery store and stuff like that. I assume you mean going to, like, a record shop just to browse. Yeah, like, like, yeah, I can't to do kill that. Or, half an hour. or yeah. just,
0: yeah, to explore the city, to go to a museum, to, like, you know, just go anywhere without feeling like, oh, man, we're too close to
1: people. You know, just anything, and... Uh, it, so h- how do you feel about that in terms of so to me i get i get the sense that in general even though the uh let's just keep it local even though la hasn't fully reopened i've definitely seen traffic seems more a traffic little busier. Here, there's definitely more uh, traffic f- yeah. It, yeah foot traffic seems a little busier in my neighborhood just walking around the block uh it seems to me i don't know if you agree that not that people are getting a little lax with the restrictions in terms of wearing face masks, I'm not saying that, but that there seems to be a generally uh, less of a sense of just like kind of nervousness and anxiety walking around the neighborhood. it's To me, it seems like people are ready to just kind of like get back and not out of a frustration way, but... Almost like I'm sensing a belief that, like, oh, well, the worst of it is over and the likelihood that I'm going to catch this virus from someone walking down the street isn't as isn't as likely as it used to be or something i don't know maybe i'm imagining that but that's kind of the feeling no
0: i like i've there was a couple weeks there early on when like you would drive around la and it was like barren and it was you know it was creepy and you were just on the highway and there was like 10 other cars out there and you're just like this is you know i just moved here and i know that this is not normal and yes um you know so it was weird we go to these giant uh, tourist spots like, you know, Rodeo drive or these giant shopping centers or whatever. And they're just abandoned. So that has definitely passed. You're definitely seeing more traffic on the highways. Um, just generally whenever I go out more foot traffic, there's people outdoors. We have to like cross the sol- sidewalk constantly. Cause there's so many people walking dogs, um, on our sidewalks these days that we are just like kind of Chris, everyone's kind of crisscrossing the streets to stay out of each other's way. But, yeah. um, other than that yeah i agree like it, it feels like the city's opening up more we they announced uh, that like haircuts and salons could open up and every and everywhere but la county um which was uh kind of shitty but uh because that, that's kind of the only other thing i've been missing like i, d- I would like a haircut i know i made fun of those like a rednecks i wouldn't show up with a machine gun at uh, the capitol to demand a haircut but i i would like one at some point and um But yeah, I mean, yeah, the week's been good. You know, I, I, like you said, I know I've been out and about and been to stores and everyone's kind of resigned to it. Shell and I went to the beach on her birthday last weekend and the beach, you know, it was semi crowded, but everyone was pretty spaced out. It was definitely more crowded near the Santa Monica pier than like, as soon as you walked further down the beach, it was much more spread out and there was a lot more space between people. And um, uh, you could tell there was just people who didn't want to walk that far from the main like entrance to the beach. And yeah, I mean, even there people were pretty spaced out, but I didn't have any sense of fear. Shell and I didn't wear a mask on the beach cause they've said like, it's not an airborne virus. You're not going to catch it from someone, you know, down the beach running around or anything like that. So I, we feel, I felt pretty safe there. I'm not very concerned about it at this point, but like, like you said, if I'm going inside of a store, obviously yes, I'm wearing a mask and washing hands and everything else.
1: Yeah. And, it- so has this changed? I know the beaches had been open as recently as a couple weeks ago, but they was mainly for going on walks on the beach or walking your dog. There was as definitely some,
0: there was people fishing and there was people camping out like, or not camping, but like people on towels that I, I read what you read about. Like you have to stay moving. And there wasn't, yeah. a, there wasn't anyone there like yelling at people to be like, Hey, get got to move on. You can't be sitting. Like there wasn't any of that. But
1: that so there, there were people with like parasols, sunbathing and stuff.
0: Yeah. People had towels, families were out. There was a couple coolers, like groups of friends were hanging around. Like, but everyone was got still it. like there were groups, but everyone was still pretty spaced out. Generally. It, yeah. was, it wasn't like a giant cluster anywhere.
1: And I do believe starting next week, maybe as early as Monday, um, uh, a lot of restaurants in LA County will be reopening for outdoor seating. Yeah, I, think that's about, I read that as that, well. That's about to happen. I don't know how yeah. people are going to eat without their masks on. I don't know how that works necessarily, but yeah, I don't know either. Uh, but uh, I feel like if if that's happening, then stuff like movie theaters reopening with limited capacity can't be too far away.
0: I've uh, not to dive too much into it, but I've basically heard all the theatrical distributors just being like, that's not a model that we can rely on. Like, it's just not going to, it's probably not going to happen. They would almost, it's, they're going to stay closed till there's a vaccine. I think at this point, um, we'll but s- we'll Tenet, see.
1: it doesn't, it seem like tenants going to open out in a month and a half. I, I'm
0: still waiting for them to call it. I don't think it will. Uh, you know, we can, flip- they,
1: they just, they just released a new trailer. They've repeatedly said that, I mean, even the new trailer that was just released this week or last week has, the july release date i mean it seems like they're rolling it out
0: i yeah though I, all they they're moving as if they should as if they will i'm curious if uh, you know come come the showdown if they pull the trigger or not i you know i'm waiting to see like you said uh, will, will you go to a theater to see it this summer
1: uh it depends on the environment of the theater there there are some theaters where each row is completely separate Like, there's a big wall between rows behind each uh, row of seating. And if I could go to that theater and know that uh, no one, you know, besides, like, say, if I went with Sarah, who I've been seeing during the quarantine, if I could sit next to her and no one else was immediately to my right or left, I, I I would consider it. Yes.
0: I guess wouldn't you need to know that they're, like, scrubbing those seats down after every screening?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would probably wear like pants and a long sleeve <laughs> shirt and burn all my clothes out. I mean, I don't know, but uh, was, um, I'm
0: just curious. Would you wear a mask the whole movie?
1: Uh, it's a, yeah, I would. Um, well, if no one was in my vicinity, no, because the mask is you know, mainly if you you happen to be an asymptomatic carrier, that you, you don't get another person sick. And obviously, if you're in close contact with another person, like if you're at the bank or at the checkout counter at a grocery store and you're, you know, standing face to face with an employee, you both should have a mask on. That's the point of a mask. Like you said there's no real concern at this point that it's an airborne virus or that you're just going to get it walking down the street from Augusta Wind. So if I'm sitting if I'm sitting alone in a theater and no one is within six feet of me, I don't see why I would wear a mask. Like if I'm in line at the concession stand, I would have my mask on.
0: All right, I agree. I just looked at the time, and I think we have to get moving on, buddy. You want to talk about? Um Something that happened 20 years ago today to get us into uh, this first topic. Do you know what it, that's the anniversary of today?
1: 20 years ago today. What's that, May 29th, 2000? It is, well, I, maybe not today, but
0: like this week is the 20th anniversary of Oops, I Did It Again. Um, From Miss Oh shit, yeah, from Miss Britney Spears, uh, who kind of I think was our first pop star, our first female pop star. Who really, I mean, I guess there was Whitney Houston and Celine Dion and a couple other big ones, but she was like those were like I think adults by the time we were like kids. You know, like I think I thought of them
1: as like already grown. So like, yeah, they were they were already around Celine. Yeah, yeah. Mariah, but like, Whitney, they, they're already big things. But, like,
0: when you're in sixth and seventh grade and Britney Spears comes out, um, well, I guess Baby One More Time was already out. But this is, like, Oops, I Did It Again is the red leather, the, you know, un, in the, in, oh, the yeah. in the cow. Oh, the, oh I know. I in, the, know. In, the, in the cave with the, uh, you know, making her heart symbol or whatever she does with her hands uh yeah it's a uh it's 20 years ago since that and uh I, I don't know It just kind of reminded me like oh man it's been we've come a long way in uh pop music with female stars because it used to be like oh here's britney and christina but now it's like i feel like female pop stars dominate almost all of pop music or at least like 90 percent of it these days
1: and while have many of them are heavily influenced by the britney and christinas of the world uh and in some ways, maybe we've come full circle in that cycle of music. They're, they're a different kind of female pop star, in my opinion, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Especially yeah. compared to Britney. So Britney was... The, man, that was 2000. So Baby One More Time was like 99, 98? Yes, yeah, so it was not 99, I believe. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, because Phil says that. Well, happy 20-year anniversary to uh, Britney Spears, someone who I was madly in love with. We all were. When she first hit the scene um you know what video really worked for me i think because i'm just as much as i would like to be a pervy guy i think i'm just a helpless romantic at heart Some, Was the video someday? for sometimes. Or sometimes sometimes yeah, yeah. yep sometimes yep. Where she's run. wearing like that that blue sweater and she's just hanging out on the beach like with a guy and they're just like hopelessly in love i'm like oh that looks nice
0: yeah you like a girl next door I do.
1: I like the girl next door thing. Meanwhile, everyone's like talking about her in the red spandex suit, or that uh, crazy. And then what was the one that was all sweaty? I'm a slave for you. Or yeah, I'm a slave for you.
0: And then toxic. Boy, that was
1: that man. was the antithesis of sometimes I'm a slave for you.
0: Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, some of <laughs> the it, two you, sides of Oh Yeah, while well, you were looking at that, I was over watching the like Christina Aguilera dirty video, like. Beating it or something.
1: Yeah, Christina never, I was never that big of a fan. I think she's more talented than Britney as a singer, but I was never that, I was much more in Britney's camp back then.
0: I think I was too, but like Christina was showing more skin. So I was like, thank you for doing, for getting dirty, Christina.
1: Yeah, she she was always kind of like the raunchier version of Britney. I think up until, at least in that that beginning phase of their careers. Yes, she was the Rolling Stones to her Beatles. There you go. So you brought up that, Phil. Why did you bring up Brittany?
0: I wanted to bring that up because I mentioned it last week, but uh, my girl, one of my favorite working female pop stars, who is, I think... At this point, underrated, I think it's fair to say, um, at least by mainstream audiences. Uh, I agree. I think, and I, I want to talk a little bit about why that is. But um, Chris, uh, Christina Aguilar, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, released a, an album last week. She surprised everyone with a uh, album called Dedicated B sides So, um, just to summarize, side really side co- B,
1: Dedicated B. Side B.
0: Yeah, 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 Side B. Um, so, Christina, or God damn it, now I keep saying Christina Aguilar. But anyway, Carly Ray Jepsen. Uh, I think most people know her obviously from her 2012 hit Call Me Maybe, and I think she's probably always going to be defined by Call Me Maybe for most people, which is I think right in some respects in that it is a pop song that has a great hook and is very catchy and that's very much what her thing is, so I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but I think the fact that that song got overplayed and kind of became memed to death and got Beaten down into pop culture. I think that rubbed... That made her rub people the wrong way. So I think they took her less seriously after that. And it would be... And so... I, and I did not take her seriously at that point either. To me, she was just going to be a one hit wonder. And then in 2015, she released emotion, which, uh, when it was released was released to critical acclaim. And I think that was kind of the first thing that made me go, Oh, I should check that out. If only, I think it was like a year, end of the year list thing. And I was like, I'm going to go listen to some albums that I need to catch up on. And that album just fucking grabbed me. And I still love that album. I still spin it regularly and I think it's an amazing album. And that was kind of the first time this was also coming out shortly after Taylor Swift's 1989. And that was another female pop star who was kind of finding that eighties synth sound as an inspiration to create these really catchy, really anthemic modern pop songs that are just extremely, you know, fun to listen to, but also extremely well-written, extremely well-produced. And if you're into that kind of thing, you know, there it's kind of top of the mountain for that. And Uh, so she released that album and then she released dedicated the follow-up last year in 2019 and i thought that was an amazing follow-up and i think that was kind of what solidified me as being like this was not just a one album wonder for me uh where she just kind of got lucky this is clearly someone to pay attention to and one of the things that she does when she does her albums the last couple is she has written like 30 or 40 or 50 songs for each album and then she decides which 12 she, from there she wants to put on the actual album so she writes a ton and then from there whittles it down and then what she did with emotion back in 2016 and what this new album is is the the side b or the extra songs that she didn't release on the main album but she still wanted fans to hear so that dropped this week the side b of her last album and it's called dedicated and I think it's fucking amazing. It really stands on its own. I think as an, as its own album, I think the fact that it's just her throwaways really shows quite a lot about what she's able to do as a pop writer. And I think that's the other big thing that should be mentioned is that she writes her songs and that's really what separates her from your, what Katy Perry's or Rihanna's or whoever else is she's actually in the studio writing all these songs and she's just a great pop songstress. And I've really, really fallen in love with her over the last like five years since emotion came out. So Uh, yeah, this album has thankfully come out to brighten my week and you, uh, you started spinning it. Uh, I know you liked her anyway, but, and we're probably going to listen to it anyway, but, uh, yes, I definitely had a lot of enthusiasm and love to talk about this album.
1: Yeah. The, uh, Carly is someone that we, uh, feel similarly about. I know we're both defenders of her. I think more than, more than anything, even maybe more than being fans of her, I feel like I'm a defender of her, um, I think call me maybe personally I think it, it was probably just in terms of sheer popularity pro- probably one of the 10 biggest songs of the of the 2010s wouldn't you say at least in yeah contention. yeah it's it's up
0: there it's it's certainly in terms of like most played just most like in, yeah in, it's in, like in oh, like happy in, yeah, yeah,
1: you'll, you'll, it's, it's you'll like up there with at, like the happy and get luckies of the world yeah you're gonna like um,
0: you're gonna hear it in a commercial and at every sports event for the rest of your life
1: Yeah, I thought it was a legitimately great pop song. I really, really love that song. I think it's got a great hook. It's just perfectly written. Um, It's everything you want in a catchy, kind of fluffy, throwaway pop tune. And so I always liked her from that, but I never cared to explore further. Until Emotion came out, I was aware of it. I knew it was a little bit well-received, but it wasn't until you really insisted that I check it out. And I was... I did not need a lot of pushing because I was such a fan of Call Me Maybe that I figured, like, all right, I'll check out a record. I really liked it, just like you did. I think she she reinvented herself a little bit from Call Me Maybe. I mean, emotion is much more R and B influenced. It's a very like sexy record. Yeah, and, it's like a it's like uh, a modern
0: Cindy Lauper ass kind of like eighties pop thing, but like you said, a little bit more R and B and sex in there.
1: Yeah, and I think. Uh, dedicated is an extension of that and what I when I was saying earlier that although in some ways we've come full circle from the turn of the century pop female pop stars that we grew up with um, this seems like a new era of people like Taylor Swift and Carly Ray in particular of artists who write their own tunes and have uh, clear visions about themselves like Adele is a obviously a much more mature example Of someone like that. But Carly, Carly is, in my opinion, she's a true artist. She, like you said, she writes most of, if not all of her songs. Um, She has a clearly defined voice. She has interesting things to say. And I think she keeps evolving in a really interesting way. Where, you know, the 2012 version of Carly Rae Jepsen was very bouncy and poppy. The 2015 version of Carly was very sultry and R&B heavy and a lot of like kind of bedroom music mixed with like the dance and pop songs. And I think uh Dedicated, both the last year's record, the main record and Side B, is a really great mix of everything. Like to me, I think what makes both of the Dedicated records work is it's a really nice balance of these like pop ballads mixed with these great upbeat dance tracks, mixed with like really kind of personal songs about her uh i assume about herself yeah um she has a really nice balance going right now and i feel like you you know how you said she writes 30 to 50 tunes for each record and then decides what to put on to me i feel like she's totally in a groove right now where it's just coming really easy to her it reminds me of like an, an alternative rock band like you know i'm doing my deep dives on u2 and rem and all of these bands right now, personally, uh, the the amount that she's putting out uh, with dedicated dedicated side B and with emotion with the emotion B sides, it reminds me of those bands early on in their career where they were just pumping out records every single year, and especially REM in their mid to late '80s period. When it felt like they could just do song after song after song after song, yeah. and it wasn't even it wasn't even difficult for them at a certain point, because they were just in that groove where they really they finally they found their, voice. their yeah yeah they well they found their voice, but they also had enough experience to understand the formula a little bit, and then that just freed them up. And yeah, maybe we're going through a, a golden age right now of Carly Rae Jepsen's career. Who knows where this will lead? But you even see it on like the album cover art. The dedicated and dedicated side B album art is super sexy, but it's not like teen pop sensation sexy. Yeah, it's like capital W woman sexy. You know, like this I is agree, yeah. this is Carly Rae all grown up. And uh, I I think I'm curious which do you prefer dedicated or do you prefer side B?
0: I right now dedicated.
1: Yeah. I think so too. But dedicated side Beatman man has some songs that I'm shocked. These are like you said, the throwaways. I mean, they're they're fully produced. This is not just a, a demo a collection or for like for those. Yeah, they're not like demo tracks or half mixed. These are fully produced songs. This totally works as its own album for those who are curious. So don't go into this thinking this is just an inferior version of last year's Carly Rae album if you haven't listened to it yet. Don't you? Dare this dare totally think that. works on its well just because it's called dedicated side b I think that that automatically to me gives it uh an impression that it's maybe lesser than and I don't think it is at all i I kind of wish she had called it something else yeah like I, dedicated I can see part that. dedicated part two or something even
0: I think that sonically they are in the same ballpark and maybe that's it's kind of nice that it's just she's like these came from the same recording session that has that same sound maybe she just didn't want to lie about that I don't know either way it's yeah, nice, it's nice. For, yeah, for sure.
1: I, but like there, there are some songs on here. Um, Come back now. I don't hate California at all. Window felt this way. Those, those are straight up fucking jams. That are some of my favorite tunes of the year.
0: I think one of the most frustrating things about her, like, I completely agree about those tracks. I think those are some of the best tracks on the album. Um, I, I think one of my the frustrations I have is she, whoever, whether it's her or her people, I think she often chooses the wrong single for her albums, especially Emotion and Dedicated. Like I, especially I Really Like You, which was her like first follow-up single to Carly or to Call Me Maybe. I think that was kind of what really caused the dismissiveness of her to continue because that song's the like i really 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 like you and it while it's a fun song it's also like the worst out al- or worst song on that album full of like much better songs that you're like that would have been a much better single and so i feel like there's any number of tracks that i've heard on dedicated and even dedicated side b or b sides there or whatever that you would be like I can't believe that this isn't the top song in America right now. This sounds like the poppiest summer hit of all time, and it's like hidden in there somewhere. And so I've been a little frustrated frustrated by the choices of what singles they've put forward because I think it's misrepresented the albums. She's almost fallen into that like Eminem thing. You remember how he like would release like an album of all hard, like super hard rap songs, but they would be like a goofy single that he would release first, just because my name is was like the goofy first single.
1: Yeah, I really like You as them trying to recapture Call Me Maybe. Which is not what that album was trying like to trying do. Trying to get another hit. Exactly. And the, the album is completely not that at all. But I think the, the reasoning behind that was like, okay, let's get an, a record or a track that big again. And then who cares how well the album will just sell itself at that point and whether people are surprised or not who cares we have the biggest single of the summer again just like we did in 2012 and that will sustain her for four years what was what was the the lead single for dedicated last year i don't even know
0: uh for it was well she released uh, no drug like me was the first main one and then party for one was the other
1: party for wood really the last track.
0: Yeah, the last track there's like a music video for that one and then she did now that i found you. Interesting. And, yeah, and you're just like there's like five or six other like way catchier tracks that like or that stand out a little bit more to me on the album. Uh I don't think she's released a single from side B but emotion yeah, like Runaway With Me should have been the first track that they released from that yes, album. Absolutely. I, I it was like the third single or something, and I'm like, how is that the that's your that's the like song that redefines her? I think if they pushed that one as her follow up single, more people would have been like, Oh, that's that's surprising.
1: Um Let's we, play a little bit of Runaway With Me right now. Do it. That was run away with me
0: the fucking uh, it, it, the fucking sax that's the thing that always when that it's what starts the album it's track one on the album and it fucking bumps so uh, most people who start the album are like damn this is this is carly ray Jepsen." i'm like yeah it is I, exactly I, I, that's I've, the, I've c- convinced a number of people
1: like just with that and that's why i'm on. shocked that it, that's why i'm shocked that it wasn't the lead single because it is track one of that album it's a statement song by carly so to not follow that up with the confidence to to release that as your lead single is really surprising. Um, I think for dedicated, I think something like "Everything He Needs" would have been great, or the uh, the song with Electric Guest "Feels Right" would have been a great first single. Um, um, that's "Feels Right" was I think my number one most played song on
0: Spotify last year was it really yeah that you if you look at my top 10 from spotify of last year i think like eight of the tracks are from dedicated i, I listened to the
1: album an absurd amount of times now phil when we uh why don't we play a snippet of feels right then right now because it
2: feels back Don't ask. Nothing I want to say we know isn't right. the uh, the
0: the thing you mentioned about everything he needs uh, the thing I love about that song is it's a play on like this is the stuff that she does that I think is smart and that she does that song is if you know Harry Nilsson and the Popeye soundtrack um, There's a track by... I can't believe it. Shelley Devall. I was about, I can remember her name, but Shelley Duvall sings the song He Needs Me. And it appears most famously, I think, to cinephiles in Punch Drunk Love uh, over Adam Sandler when he's going to yes, Hawaii. Yes, it does. And uh, the, that whole song is uh, He Needs Me, He Needs Me. And she plays on that lyric. So, and she makes this bouncy, fun song. So while it is a fun track, if you're a music nerd, you're like, wow, she's like doing a Harry Nilsson riff here. And it's kind of like deep nerd shit, which is cool for, like, I think that's what's appealing to people if they're confused to why music critics are especially taken with her
1: I just thought I would play it off my phone to save a little bit of work but there you hear it it's such a catchy groove it's mixed so well Oh, God, it's pure sex. That's such a great song. That's probably my favorite song off of Dedicated.
0: Well, tell me, uh, the, uh, before we go, let's let's do a quick, tell me your favorite tracks off Side B. What, what's, what's jumped out at you the most? You mentioned a few, but were, were those your favorites?
1: Side B, uh, I gave the gold, silver, and bronze medal on my notes app. Uh, the bronze medal went to track two, Window. Fucking, yeah.
0: These... That was when I, when that started, I was like, oh, shit. Like track one's great, but track two, I was like, whoa.
1: Yeah, uh, track 1 starts I, I like her voice at the beginning of track 1 but then track 2 is really where I got down but then even better in my opinion it was track 3 felt this way I agree that that got the silver and then the gold I would have to give if, Phil if you don't mind throwing this song in for a couple seconds the song with Bleachers track 10 called Comeback I'm at peace in the
2: dark when I know that you're near Hear the breath of your heart. Sing me a lullaby, all those traveling years. Till we said a goodbye, and I show up to your place. You don't even ask me why I don't know what I'm feeling. But I believe I was thinking about making to go back. back to me.
0: Leachers, uh. Led by Mr. Jack Antonoff, who also co-produced the album, uh, he's just been he's been producing for fucking Lord and uh, Taylor and everyone else. He's really the go-to guy now for production.
1: Yeah, and he also bought out and now owns the clothing empire, Lord and Taylor. Does he? Did he? Nope. I was just oh, playing I, off of what you said. I had. I had, I had, had to, Taylor
0: Swift. I had to think about it, and uh, that was a very good joke. I will laugh about it later.
1: Thank you very much. What about you? What, what would you say your favorite or favorites, plural, would be?
0: Um, I agree with you about Felt This Way. That's probably my favorite. I don't know. Did you notice that Felt This Way, uh, track three, and Stay Away, track four, have the exact same lyrics?
1: Absolutely. I was very confused at first. And I, I thought maybe that uh, Spotify had mislabeled track three when Stay Away kept showing up.
0: I agree. I had the same problem. I was like, yeah, I know for a fact that that song I liked said Stay Away a bunch. And this song is called Stay Away. Surely it is that song, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, uh, but it is not felt this way has the lyrics stay away several times right before track four which is called Stay Away. Yeah.
2: I tried your mouth and I can't come back So little time and way off track I can't stay away I can't stay away, can't stay away. The city's so hot when you sleep alone I need your hands when you drive me home um, as
0: a new person in California, I, Now I Don't Hate California After All was a nice kind of like how nice it is to be Such in California a good song, right now. So that was fun. Uh, and I also... That's
1: that's probably my number four. Now I Don't Hate California at all. The, the final, I think it's a great... I'm very... I'm, I'm very much into full albums especially lately that's been all i've listened to all i've been listening to I, do, I don't do tracks or playlists i like full albums so i've become really obsessed with opening and closing tracks of albums and i think now i don't hate california after all is a fantastic closing track to that album all sorry right. continue
0: uh just uh, yeah i was gonna say this is what they say i think it really captures the kind of Pop exuberance. Exuberance is kind of the word that I think of when I think of her. This kind of just buoyant joy and bounciness. That's kind of what I think you're getting out of her. There's, I, She's become adopted by the queer community as this kind of bright rainbow unicorn you know loving like they give her a sword uh you know because they they call her like a warrior for them and it's be i think a lot of that's because she has these like just fun dance songs that like very much in tune with robin and some other people like that who i think are getting more credit in this kind of poptimism uh wave that we've had over the last decade where people are taking pop music more seriously but yeah, it's a great album. I wish people took her more seriously. Um, so my other, The only other song I think I would highlight um, I'd highlight the whole album, but I really like the song Solo, especially because a message I have for women often is uh, women that I've known growing up, a, a problem that men have had as well, but several women I've had just like when they break up with men after long relationships tend to dive into a new relationship with another man. And I'm always kind of like, why don't you just stay single a while? And I've known a lot of women who are unwilling to stay single and just kind of like be happy with themselves and learn what they like and learn to be independent. And I, I, you know, I would encourage more women. I think some men do this too, where they're just afraid of being alone. But yeah, this song solo is very much about like, Hey, like it's okay to dance solo. It's good to be alone. It's good to be by yourself. Like it, fuck these guys. Don't worry about like chasing after someone or being uh, seeking approval from someone else, like find happiness with yourself. And I know that's like, uh, it's obviously a message for women, but it's, I really liked it. I'm glad that she's writing songs about stuff like that as much as she's writing about just, you know, falling in love in the summertime. So yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great fun time. It's, it's a nice balm in this, uh, shitty, shitty week
1: yeah for all for all you gays going nuts over lady gaga's new album that just dropped today as we record this listen to some dedicated side b as well i think you know, the, don't forget I, about carly no I, I think the gays they know i think they're out there i,
0: I can't i don't want to speak
1: for oh they're i mean she's she's clearly popular she's not lady gaga popular but she's popular and hopefully thanks to this podcast she will double her followers um, overnight. Fuck overnight yeah. so that's carly Every, everybody that's- listen to it I don't know, Phil, if you want to drop a tune as we transition into oh, the yeah, next let's, segment.
0: I think I'll play... Let's, I'm going to play the trailer for The Lovebirds because we're going to transition into some romantic comedies now.
1: Let's do it. I don't think he's a cop. <gasps> he's fucking dead. We, we know
2: he's dead, but we didn't kill him. He, like, tripped and murder or whatever. We didn't murder anybody. One, two, three, go. Woo! No. go. Okay, the guy's name is Gibran. Run, Leilani! And the girl's name's actually Leilani. Shit. She's running too now. Kind of so like she's wearing heels that look actually amazing. We have to go to the police because we have nothing to hide. Why did you run from the scene of the crime? Good question, officer. That's me covering up my body cam so I can beat your ass. We're so fucked. We just need to find the guy the police are looking for. Are you suggesting we actually go out there and solve a murder? It's locked. Did you think it was one of those men-only doors? Was, All we need is a name, just the and then we're in the clear. Hey man, it's been a minute. Who <laughs> the fuck yeah. are ah! you?
0: All right, Tom, you wanted to talk about some of the romantic comedies that dropped this week. They're in the top 10, according to Netflix, and uh, they're both two romantic comedy star-driven vehicles. The first one, The Lovebirds, that uh, we just played the trailer for, that is uh, with Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae, and that was supposed to be released in theaters, but was one of the titles that, due to coronavirus, got sold off by Paramount and released on Netflix this week. And the other one is The Wrong Missy, starring David Spade and Lauren Lapkus. Uh, and uh, we want, we watched both of them. And uh, Tom, kick us off. I, you know, tell me what you thought of these. Uh, I saw your letterbox review, so I have a sneaking suspicion. Um, but you know, I wanna I wanna hear what you had to say about them. It seems like you liked them
1: i did like both of them uh the lovebirds was you know getting tons of uh a huge push in trailers it was probably the most viewed trailer i saw in theaters this year before the coronavirus hit i feel like i saw it before every single movie i'm curious how well it would have done excuse me excuse me again financially at the box office if it had been able to come out although i know it did well on netflix it's still in the top 10 as is the wrong missy which we'll talk about next but i'll start with the lovebirds i'm a big kumail fan i haven't seen Issa ray's hbo show insecure but i am a fan of her from what i've seen i think she's really smart and funny and i know michael Showalter, um the comedian from the state and Stella in wet hot american summer directed this uh which he also directed kumail's movie the big sick back in the day um, which Kumail and his wife, Emily Gordon, got nominated for an Oscar for. So it was nice to see him pair up with Kumail again. I was a big I was a big fan of this movie. Um, for one thing, this is something I loved about it. In the age of the Apatow comedy, which we will be talking about in an upcoming episode as his new movie, Staten Island, comes out for streaming in a couple of weeks. This movie was an hour and 27 minutes long. And that was fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, that was nice. I I love a it good was, I love a good eighty minute movie. When, you, when so, you take credits out,
1: and like a mainstream comedy that, that it was going to hit theaters and it was going to be like an hour and twenty three minutes before the credits hit. And but to me, that's that's really, fantastic.
0: Did you that? Did that make you? Do you think you would have felt uh, not? busted because we have amc so i don't think we have the same relationship to like going to the movie theaters as much but would that runtime have affected you differently in theaters compared to at home just watching on netflix
1: not at all no um i've seen several sub 90 minute movies in theaters especially as a horror fan you get a lot of short movies that you see theatrically i mean uh I forget. I think McGruber's over an hour and a half. But one of my favorite comedies of this century, Hot Rod, is, I believe, sub-90 minutes. And I saw that theatrically and absolutely loved it. That would not affect... I mean, if if it was like 60 minutes, that would be different. But this, I mean, this was just shy of 90. I think that's totally respectable.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah I was just curious. I, I'm very curious about what I would have thought about it in theaters versus Netflix. Because it feels in some ways like a Netflix movie to me. But, like, it seems... It seems big for a Netflix movie, but small for a studio movie. So I was thinking a lot about like, I wonder what, because I planned on seeing it in theaters. So I was curious about if that experience would have been different for me. So, but anyway, go ahead. Tell me, tell me what you liked about it.
1: Yeah. Well, just as a tangent, based off what you just said, we've talked before about how I'm always hesitant to like, if a movie premieres digitally, I always take too long to watch it. And that's kind of because what you just said, like how watching this felt like a Netflix movie. If I had seen this theatrically, it totally would have felt like a a theatrical mainstream studio comedy. Seeing it on Netflix, it felt like a Netflix movie. And that's kind of what I think part of the reason why I hesitate to watch direct-to-streaming movies is because they always feel like that to me. Even if it's... As much as I loved finally sitting down and watching the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the new, the the Coen Brothers movie from a couple of years ago that Netflix acquired and put out streaming directly, even something like Bright, which uh, we mixed at my job, which was a $100 million Netflix movie. If it comes out on streaming first, it feels like a streaming movie to me, and that's something I personally got to get over. Now that said, um, okay, so this is an an 87-minute R-rated comedy. Uh, it's about, well, we just saw the trailer, but it's about a couple that's about to break up and they get involved with the murder and they go on the run and they have to clear their name and figure out what happened to the guy that was killed. For one thing, I would say just go back to what we talked about in our opening segment. I like that they discuss part of the reason they decide to go on the run and not go to the police is because they're both people of color. Issa Rae, they're, they're in a coffee shop at one point point. And they're debating what to do. And Kumail says, we should have just gone straight to the police. We should still do that. And Issa Rae says, you think the cops are going to listen to us? And she kind of like points at both of their faces. And it's used as a comedic bit. But there's so much truth in that comment. And that's just such a good reason as a plot point. But also as a topical point for comedic effect about why these two characters would take the difficult route of trying to solve this murder on their own. You know? Something that's such a comedic, non, non-real non premise. But there's so much truth to that idea of like, yeah, me, Indian guy, and black woman are going to go to the cops and say, see this guy who was repeatedly run over by our car, and we were the only two people at the scene? We totally didn't do it, and you're going to trust us, right? No, of course not. Uh, so I really let. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say,
0: I, for me, that was kind of where—not uh, that the movie lost me, but that was one of the main things. I, I liked the race element of it, but that scene in the alley that you can see in the trailer, where the the car is taken by a a guy who says I'm a police officer, he hops in and ends up running somebody over. Uh, like the rationale, I think, in that scene, that I I, I found the premise quite silly, and um, I, I I never kind of got over the. I, never buying the the why they weren't going to the police thing. I, I, I wish a little bit more had been given to it. than I think there's one or two lines given lip service to it,
1: but I wish they would have done just a little bit more with it. Uh, it felt like. Well, the, but hold on. Let's think about this. So they're, they're in that alley, right? The I mean, guy, I understand
0: the premise. Yeah, they're not going to like the movie says. No, no, no. Like,
1: I'm not saying the premise, but let's try to put ourselves in that scenario. And just as two white guys, right? Say it was you and me in that car. Someone commandeers the car. They follow a guy into an alley. They run him over repeatedly. Then he takes off. And now it's just you and me and we're sitting in the car. And then two people walk into the alley. They see a dead body that has clearly been run over several times. One car in that alley with the engine on. Probably with his like blood and brain matter all over the bumpers of our car. And you and I are sitting there that's good that looks so uh, so bad where the movie lost so bad i
0: yeah and like i said on paper this all like i rings true to me but i guess the scene itself like when the the kids are like you ran over this guy and they're like whoa 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 that that's stumbling stuff i just didn't think it was funny and them they're like well we're gonna film you and they're like well we're just gonna run away uh and i'm just like i maybe this is just me being silly but i'm just like you know in the in the years of like you know cell phone evidence or uh forensics fingerprints like i don't know i for me i i I wish i would have had more of a reason i wish more the race would have been given a little bit more credence throughout the rest of the movie um other than just them leaving the scene because i feel like it's kind of dropped and only mentioned again at the end and that that's kind of my only point like so
1: you so so you wish this was like a um uh What's that Michael B. Jordan movie? No, I wish before? it was funny. It's you just, wish this was Fruitvale Station and not a comedy. <laughs> no,
0: I just like that scene just didn't work for me at all, and I think the entire like plot. I enjoyed the movie. My my review is that I found it to be a perfectly serviceable lead, like lead performant or uh, vehicle for the two leads who I think are very charming. Like you said, I love Kumail, and I think Issa Rae is very talented, and I like them a lot and their individual moments throughout the movie. I find. Very charming and very funny, and I thought it was a pretty easy watch, but I just thought uh, the plot is very ramshackle, and I don't think it's... I mean, I'm glad you liked it, but yeah, I, you're not going to convince me that this is some like potent comment on race or anything like that. I don't think the movie... I no, think-
1: I, I was just talking about that one seat at the diner. I like that she that she brought that up, but they didn't just ignore it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, I wish... The, uh, I, I feel like... The movie tries to hang too much on that. I wish, you know, if that makes sense. I don't know. I don't want to get too hung up on that one little element. Wait, like,
1: you just said they hang too much on it, but that they only reference it once and then at the very end of the movie.
0: I'm saying they, they hang too much on it in terms of, like, this is the sole reason that they're running away from the scene of the crime, but the movie doesn't do anything else about it in terms of, like, commenting on it. And I'm not talking about, like, a serious social commentary. I just mean, like, those scenes with, like you know, like the rich they're they, you know, they end up with like Illuminati stuff and rich country folks and stuff like that who are like, clearly, uh, I think you can apply a little racist. And I think there's something that they're talking about there, but I just don't think the movie, like, I'm not trying to like make it seem like the, I want the movie to be Fruitvale station. I just mean, I didn't think the plotting was very good. I just think it's, which I don't think is the point. I'm just saying like, I found the per- movie to be a perfectly fine waste of 80 minutes. And I, but I just don't know that I'll remember it much more than, Enjoying the lead performances. That's all I'm saying.
1: Okay. Well, yeah. All right. I was just saying that I like that they brought it up at all. Not that it was a. It was not any major focal point. The plot is obviously very silly. Um, it's the the entire movie is a vehicle for them to be very witty and funny together. And one thing that I really enjoyed about it, it reminded me a lot of the comedy from two years ago. Uh, Game Night, which was another R-rated studio comedy. And I just think this reminded me that we just don't get enough of those these days. Um, It was really nice to see uh, a comedy with two genuinely funny, intelligent comedians who were clearly allowed to use their voice and banter in their own style. Um, for the most part, like I got the sense I have no way of doing this for sure. But just the sense I got being a fan, especially of Kumail, I've followed Kumail's uh, career for years. I've listened to several of the podcasts that he's put out, including right now. For those curious, he has a quarantine podcast that he does with his wife, Emily Gordon, called Staying In with Emily and Kumail, uh, which is an inter- interesting listen if you're in the mood for it. Um, which I'm not always because a lot of it is quarantine talk. But uh, well, I think the. Big,
0: I was just gonna say, I think the big sick is kind of my, maybe my comparison point because I feel like that is a movie that abides by all the rules of a rom com, but then also subverts them and does some very interesting things um, and has a lot more like personality and emotion and kind of everything else behind it. Um, I, I think I was hoping for a little bit more of that flavor in the Lovebirds, whereas Lovebird seems a little bit more concerned with like. Like I think you enjoyed the fact that it was like 80 minutes. We're just gonna hit the beats that like of the rom com beats, and I think you were probably comforted by those beats. Whereas I was just kind of like, yeah, that, yeah, that's what a rom com does, you know.
1: But I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think it's fair to compare it to the big sick. I mean, they're trying to do two completely different things.
0: Sure, I mean, I'm only comparing them because Kamel's in both of them and he's the romantic lead. That's all. Oh, that's all I'm saying. But
1: to, but I think to say I'm disappointed, it wasn't as interesting or complex as the big sick is unfair to the lovebirds because i don't think that was the goal of the lovebirds you know what i mean
0: well okay well i guess i'm 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 sad that it's only as entertaining as stuber uh what what is stuber the dave batista camille movie where he's an uber driver oh right right yeah i never
1: i never saw that movie so i can't I can't comment on it, but don't don't worry about it.
0: I know. I, I, I think I'm, it sounds like, I I mean, to me, I just thought it was fine. I I, I think that's, I don't, I wish I had a stronger take. I'm just more of in the middle of it. And like, I thought, like you said, I think it had small ambitions in terms of like, it just wants to be a vehicle for these two. And I think in that respect, it's very funny and I like them. So like, yeah, it was a very easy watch. Like I just, in terms of like rom-coms, it's not doing anything you haven't seen a hundred times. I think that's kind of my only like negative thing to say about it.
1: No, it's not. Although the one thing I think that it does that is kind of unique in its genre is, and this is something that the trailer does not reveal, at least the, the initial trailer I saw. I don't know if there was a newer one that they made for Netflix, so I apologize if uh, if I just missed that. Um, and this is a mild spoiler for the beginning of the movie. So if you haven't seen it and want to be completely um, in the dark about the plot, Right before the murder happens, Kumail and Issa Rae's characters break up. They're in a long-term relationship. They decide that they're basically miserable together. They can't stop fighting. They've been together for four years. They're on their way to a party. And in the car, they break up. And then seconds later, he accidentally hits this guy on a bike. And a few seconds after that is when the car gets taken. Um, The murder happens. And then we hit the ground running with the rest of the plot. Um, And I think that was an interesting dynamic of a rom-com where it's not two couples who kind of have a meet-cute, have a lot of good and bad and then end up together. It's a couple that had already gone through the experience of being a couple, decide to end it, and then under that kind of dark cloud of their relationship ending, then have to go through the motions of an action romantic comedy. So I thought that was cool um, and something a little different. Not that it really affected the the emotional depth of the movie or anything like that, but I thought it was just a new, a nice little twist that was different enough to keep me interesting. But what I what I was saying earlier, um, I it kind of annoys me, uh, and I, I'm not saying this is in. You're annoying me right now. But, like I said, to compare it to something like The Big Sick, I just think genuinely isn't fair. And this is a problem I have with a lot of film criticism. Is when I think sometimes, you know, I'm known as being a very easy grader and loving everything. Which is a fair criticism. But I think a lot of that is because I, I tend to understand early on. Most movies give away their intentions pretty early about what they're going for, what their aim is and once i become aware of that i alter my expectations and how uh critical or strict i want to be with a particular film because intent is everything in my opinion you know like i think it's uh a movie like fruitvale station and a movie like um what's another drama that just isn't good I don't know, but think of any of the million Oscar-baity bullshit things. I think it's unfair to compare movies like that on a similar scale, or a movie like this versus a movie like The Big Sick. They're both romantic comedies, but one is clearly going for such deeper insight into the nature of relationships, particularly romantic relationships, but also dealing with race, with family, with trauma, with mortality. I mean... A movie like The Big Sick has such loftier goals, and it, for the most part, succeeded. It's a great movie for those who haven't watched it. While the Lovebirds and The Big, Six, Big Sick fit under the same umbrella of a film genre, their aims are completely different. And I think, well, obviously it's fair to say you like The Big Sick way more, and it's a much better movie, that's because... It's kind of trying to be, right?
0: I mean, I guess. But, I mean, The Big Sick was also directed by Michael Showalter. I I mean, like, I know that what you're trying to say in terms of their aims are a a little bit different. But I don't think it's unfair to compare a movie from the same star and director in the same genre.
1: No, but, like, Paul Thomas Anderson directed Hard Eight and There Will Be Blood. You know? Those are two very different movies with very different goals.
0: Yeah, but they're but these are both romantic comedies though they're yeah like they're i'm just saying like they're doing two different things within the same genre i'm not i'm just i mean i'm glad you liked it i'm i'm just like i'm you know and i agree that you need to like approach each movie with its own terms i just thought this movie i think it was trying to do a little bit more and i just don't think it succeeded whereas i think you read it more as like it wasn't trying for much and therefore like i enjoyed what little it tried
1: for I mean, to call it little, I think, is unfair. I, I think, yeah, I think, ultimately, it's it's trying to be a much sillier, fun, adventurous comedy than The Big Sick, which is much more character-based.
0: I mean, yeah, but, like... Uh you know, like it just reminded me of like date night, or the you know with Steve Carell and Tina Fey, or any of those other kinds of movies. Yeah, like, I,
1: I, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think it, I think it is like that. I think those are what its aims are.
0: Yeah, and I didn't like that movie either. I, I mean, like I'm not saying that as like to trash like the lovebirds. It's, love it's fine around.
1: if you didn't like it. I, I don't care if you liked it or not. Well, I, I guess to me it's not beside like, the
0: point. I'm think. just saying I didn't dislike it because it wasn't as good as the Big Sick. That's not the sole reason I didn't like it. I just thought like the plotting you know of them leaving that scene of the car and the their whole like we have to solve their their rationale behind i understand the rationale of we need to run away from the scene and not report it the rationale to that to the next scene of being like we need to solve this crime and put our lives in danger i think is you know a little a little shaggy that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying it's a little shaggy and you know i think well
1: it's yeah i think intentionally it's silly but wait now you're saying you didn't like it did i thought you did like
0: it no i'm saying i i'm just saying i did like it but i've just like refused to like say it's uh, you know I, i i think you're giving it more credit than i'm just i than i am that's all i'm saying i liked it i gave it two and a half out of five i am right in the middle i think it is a fine movie like if you like kumail and Issa, i would recommend it that's kind of just all that's really where i stand on it like I just don't, I think the movie as itself is like, I I felt like, you know, it needed a couple more elements or some, some other element needed to pop more. Either it needed to be more romantic or more comedic or more dramatic or something. I don't know. It just felt like it was stuck in this weird middle of, I've seen this movie before. I like these leads and the movie's not trying to do too much different than other movies of this genre. And therefore it didn't stand out that much to me compared to like, you know, something like The Big Sick which does try to do a little bit more. And that's all I'm saying is that I, I wish that this movie had either reached for a little bit more or had achi- or maybe somewhere along the line it didn't achieve what I thought it was trying to. Like, I think it could have said a little bit more about race. I mean, it, like I said, it doesn't need to be Fruitvale Station, but, you know, it could have <laughs> gone a little
1: bit more, you know. Okay. Uh, what would you think of The Wrong Missy?
0: I thought it was absolute dog shit, and I'm mad you made me watch it. <laughs>
1: I thought that movie was so funny, man. I, I, really I, so I, um, much,
0: I'll man. be honest. I had to fast forward through the middle of it. I, I fast forward through about twenty minutes of it because I was just like, this, this is obnoxious. I hate this. um
1: Oh I, no. Yeah, I, I really hated it. Like,
0: I, I hate movies. Well, you've
1: always had a terrible sense of humor, especially with comedies. Yeah, you, you have no fun with movies. We've known this for years.
0: Yeah, no. Like when I shut it off and watched uncut gems last night and had a much better time.
1: <sighs> uncut gems sucks okay okay you didn't. you didn't find lauren lapkus funny at all
0: no i mean she's not playing a real person uh she's i mean i like her i like her i listen to her podcast okay this is what i'm talking about
1: she's not trying to play a real person
0: all right but there's a difference between like
1: exuberant over the top did you not see the film where did you not see the point of the movie where she falls off a cliff like a 150 foot drop and then just is able to walk away
0: I don't mind like the difference to me between like her is that the rest of the movies playing it straight it's different to me if like it's uh step brothers and like there's 20 people in on the joke or the whole movie's dumb. I don't like that David Spade the whole movie is giving her a shitty look. I, I really the David Lauren Lapkus is not the problem of the movie for me. I really 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 do not like David Spade. And I don't like watching okay, Well,
1: that that's kind of all I care about cuz I'm a huge Lauren Lapkus fan yeah, so I'm yeah. glad that she wasn't.
0: Yeah, no, Lauren Lapkus was not really my problem. I like I thought they gave her a kind of a, an unplayable character in terms of just like she's so inhuman. And I, like I said, to me, it's in comparison to the rest of the characters in the movie who are reacting to her. And, uh, it felt like a kind of well, Sarah forget the first draft of forgetting Sarah Marshall mixed with, uh, just David Spade writing excuses for himself to make out with women who are 20 years younger than him. And he has a weird face and weird hair. And I like, I don't know. I just like, I, it made me uncomfortable watching him. I just don't like him. He, I find him obnoxious. I only like him with Chris Farley, um, yeah, I guess like I found the movie hard to watch.
1: Well, it's beyond my personal love of Lauren Lapkus, who, uh, for those who don't know her, and I think this is a, a big introduction,
0: she does have a few uh, lines that really cracked that made me laugh a few times. I will say, uh, w- within that, there were a few lines, that's why I gave it one and a half. They're all for Lauren,
1: and this is her biggest role by far. So she's huge in the improv comedy world, especially the podcast comedy world um for those who know comedy bang bang she's one of the like legendary guests of that show uh i've seen her live several times doing improv comedy which uh, california that's one of the biggest things i miss about los angeles right now is we're in the middle of an improv golden age especially in california but also in places like new york and chicago and she is one of the absolute gems of that world she's so so funny she's so quick on her feet She does really funny characters. I assume that's how she got this role. I know she's had some smaller roles. Like she had a bit part in the the first couple seasons of Orange is the New Black. She was on some comedy series called Clipped on like TBS. And I know she had a guest role on The Big Bang Theory. So she's had some uh, credits to her name. She's definitely like starting to blow up. But this is her first, you know, starring role in a relatively big movie. And part of the reason why I wanted to... Uh, pick this because I thought it would pair nicely with the Lovebirds as two big uh big new release comedies. But also it's doing way better than I ever thought it was. I mean, it was on my radar because she would promote it on podcasts like Comedy Bang Bang or Doughboys that I listen to. But uh this has been on the Netflix top ten for several weeks and random ass people that um I'm just kind of tangentially aware of, like, the head of UFC, Dana White, posted specifically about The Wrong Missy on his on his Instagram feed. He's like, you know, I normally don't watch movies. I don't have time for it. I just saw this thing that was amazing. It's called The Wrong Missy. This girl, Lauren Lapkus, is incredible. So I know it's doing really well. And I think Netflix is very pleasantly surprised with how well it was performing. So that made me curious to watch it as well. I don't know. I, I, I like... Those big, dumb Adam Sandler comedies, especially a lot of the newer ones, like That's My Boy and You Don't Mess With the Zohan. If you like those types of movies, I think you should give it a shot. Um, Phil hated it. That's okay. But I like That's those movies, though. That. I we like don't You Don't Mess With too the much. Zohan. There's a, there's not really much to critique or analyze, but it's an absurd movie. Lauren Lapkus is great. I think she's going to be a star. And uh, if you're in the mood for something like that, check it out. At least until she falls off a cliff. That's the funniest scene in the entire movie. That's straight out of like a Lonely Island, MacGruber, a Hot Rod scene. It it made me cry laughing.
0: Yeah, that's all. yeah. I mean, I the thing is though, I really like you. Don't mess with a Zohan, and I really like MacGruber and Hot Rod and all those like dumb movies. I, I, it's for me. I think the killer here is David Spade. Like, I, I. That's a hard mountain for me to get over. Is I just he gives me the creeps. I don't know. Like as much as I like her, and I agree with you. Like she's a fucking star. I wish nothing but the best for her. I can't wait. To see her do more stuff, I would recommend listening. She has a great podcast with Nicole, um, uh, Nicole, whatever. Yeah. The Star Wars. The Star podcast. Wars one. Nicole yeah, Beyer. Nicole Meyer. Yeah. Uh, buyer, buyer, uh, buyer. Yeah. yeah. She, um, they, they, I've been listening to that. They've been having fun on there. Like I really like her and I was, I think she was certainly the re she was the reason outside of David Spade. I was like, okay, I like her enough that I'll watch this. And I agree with you that it was worth, like you said, it's doing well in the charts and, uh, people are talking about it on it's doing well on netflix and stuff and it's a rom-com and yeah it's definitely i think worth comparing and i i just think the difference is even though this one has the same like kind of basic like i think you can see all the beats a mile away whereas it didn't i kind of like shrugged with the the lovebirds and kind of like was more of a like man i like the elements are here i think for me to just have a little bit more of a time and it felt like I I would have liked just a little bit more out of it, but I did really like the leads and I'm willing to like, if somebody wanted to rewatch it, I would be willing to just out of uh, I like Kumail Nanjian, Issa Rae. And that kind of goes a long way, especially in these types of formulaic movies. So that, so I wasn't expecting like a great plot out of this one. So I was like, I hope I really like Lauren Lapkus. And I, I, she's the only thing that made me laugh just you know certain moments or she's so over the top it was kind of undeniable that she you know was going for it she's fucking going for it i'll give her that in this movie and uh in like i said most of my complaints have to do with just like watching molly sims as a blonde in the opening five minutes like drool when she sees david spade and i'm just like no fuck yourself david spade like i just it's it's one of those things it's not i don't know it's it's hard for me to overcome Maybe that's- I mean,
1: this feels like it was a Happy Madison movie where they filmed it in Atlantis, so it, it totally fits the formula of basically every Adam Sandler comedy, which is, let me get a bunch of my friends, go to some paradise, and just film there for a while, and let's make money while we're doing it. That's his formula. It has the Adam <laughs> let's Sandler set it crew, at a like beach, the- yeah. Yeah, it has the Adam Sandler crew of Rob Schneider and Nick Swordson and that cross-eyed guy who's in all of his movies. I'm sorry, I don't know his (laughs) name. Uh, But so to me, it feels like this was going to be an Adam Sandler movie. And at the last second, he just decided that I don't want to do this one. I don't know.
0: Yeah, to me, that's the difference between Adam Sandler and David Spade is like, if this was Adam Sandler, I probably would have just shrugged him and like, yeah, he's charming. You know, it's See, a...
1: I think I, I personally, I like Spade as a straight man. I think he's very talented in that role, but he needs good material, and, um, so I, you know, he he needs a great, he needs a great Farley, yeah, to I... bounce off of. And to me, Lauren Lapkus works in that role, um, but Spade on his own is kind of a nothing. Like if if he if he was there to lead. Like something like people love Joe Dirt. I've
0: never liked Joe Dirt. That was kind of I was, I I was going I to mention that. Yeah, it's even that I was. It's not like a new thing. I've. It's, it's. He's never really worked for me outside of those Chris Farley movies.
1: Spade as the as the comedic force does not work for me. As the straight man, which is what he is in this movie, he works. So like something like Tommy Boy or this, I think is fine with Spade. Something like Joe Dirt doesn't work for me. So. Yeah, this is a completely dumb movie. This, there's no script. It's all about Lauren Lapkus being absolutely ridiculous and Spade playing off it and then all of Adam Sandler's friends getting <laughs> small roles. Um, but I don't know, man. It's fun. The, the world's burning. Uh, don't use this as a distraction from it. But in addition to trying to do good in the world, you can go watch The Wrong Missy. But Phil, we have something genuinely interesting to talk about next. And I think we should move on.
0: I agree. Um those yeah, those are both on Netflix. I would I both of us would recommend The Lovebirds. I to um I would not recommend uh The Other Missy or The Wrong Missy. But uh I would you know.
1: recommend it but like I said you got to know what it is going in. No, yeah. it's a dumb ass Sandler comedy.
0: Yeah, and the only thing, and I will note that my like aggressive dislike of it is largely due to my aggressive dislike of the lead actor. Which I, you know, not to spill tea outside of school, will just say, I've met and he wasn't nice to me, and <laughs> that was that. That doesn't help either. So, um, uh, yeah, that's all I will say about the wrong Missy and David Spade. I guess as we move on, or as we return, I should say, to the segment that we've been having. Are, this is—is is this our first ongoing segment that we've ever had on the show?
1: It is. Yeah. What what I dubbed our classic blind spot series. This is. Classic blind spot one part three of Neon Genesis Evangelion. I, I can't do it, but I hear it every. You're a star. <laughs> do you ever do you ever skip the credits and it just goes like? Yeah,
0: no, I I always skip the credits because they're like three minutes long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they long. are very they're long. very long, and I yes. was just so. But yes, I I get that exact same skip intro and then. and then it goes and it's also strange that the show we were speaking about neon genesis evangelion by the way episodes 15 through 21 uh it's weird that halfway through the episodes you get a title screen right
1: it is very strange i mean this show also has um random uh like text edits early on in each episode yes which you know the first episode i thought was the credit and they just decided not to translate the title but then like halfway through they reveal the title so i don't know what those are because they don't subtitle i don't know though you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah, right? I know, those, yeah. those chunks of text in japanese one thing i, I think strange know what they are like I'm, I'm a pretty
0: fast reader and i imagine you are too like some of those screens even if like i imagine you're reading in japanese are like two frames on like throughout episodes and i'll just occasionally be yeah. like how did anyone read that like i didn't even i'd have to pause it but I don't
1: know, Yeah, to me, it's like, you know, this this show, occasionally, it's an, a Japanese anime. For those who haven't listened to the previous two episodes, we are watching this show, um, which neither of us have seen before, which I recommended, because it's considered one of the high points of television anime. Um, and yeah, the, the, those, especially the ones early on that we're talking about, those really quick flashes of Japanese char- text characters are so fast, and to me you know this show has while it's very grounded and very heady uh, and it's turning into a great show but um it has those weird moments of like comic relief where a character will blush and they'll have that um i love the
0: breakfast me- music that that like kind of bouncy like do 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 like when everything's yeah <laughs>
1: They will have these. Uh, I'm
0: blinking. Well, and term, who, who like, of course uh, can forget Pen the pet penguin who is also throughout The pet episode. penguins. Yeah.
1: So they have they have these goofy stereotypes of the genre, and I'm assuming that the text is like that. It's almost like like a comic quote balloon or something like that. That's what that's what I think is happening happen. early yeah. on, but I'm not, I'm not sure because they're not translating it. But anyway, and that's it, not that's not why we want to talk about the show. There's right. much better reasons why.
0: So, all right, so uh, just to summarize really quickly, we watched episodes 15 through 21, and I would just say that the major developments probably begin around we have we have had three main pilots through the show at this point and this new set of episodes introduces a uh, fourth pilot who remains a mystery just shinji for a little while but we realize it is a fellow student who has bullied him and kind of slowly developed a friendship with him over time in the school and uh, shinji this student is put into a rival Ava, and shinji is sent out in a battle to rival to in battle to rival this Ava. And they're saying that this Ava is an angel and he needs to battle it. And so when he gets out there, um, he hates being used to, to harm another kid who's operating that thing. And he doesn't understand why he's being asked to fight it. And he refuses. So his father pushes him away and takes over. And at that point, there's a kind of a breaking point between Shinji and his father. And Shinji runs away. He's resisting the call. And uh, eventually he returns to save his friends at the city, but when he gets back into battle, it's revealed, and this is kind of, I guess, the major revelations of this stretch of episodes, that the Avas are not actually machines, but they are angels wrapped in armor. So the, uh, the pilots are still sinking with them, but it's become clear that it's like a natural being as opposed to an angel and Shinji gets stuck in a quantum state in his little entry plug. So this melding of body and mind and consciousness opens up the show to some of the craziest visuals that it's had so far. And this kind of dreamscape as Shinji confronts memories and things that have haunted him throughout the show. And uh, meanwhile, we we spend time with the other nerve crew members as they work to save his body. And um, and the, the episodes 19 and 20 are particularly full of lengthy digressions into abstraction. And then episode twenty one, I think, is called "The Birth of Nerve," and that deals with a lot of flashbacks and setting up the program, and uh, sets up a one major twist, which I think is Rhea clone. I, maybe, that, maybe that's how I misread it. I am not sure. Maybe that's how I am not sure. Well, okay, let's
1: let's let's was, slow down a little bit because you are you are revealing everything at once, and we let's, well, I was uh, yeah, well, I was going to do. I want to go bit by bit here. Yeah, I
0: was going to do a summary, so, just saying that's really, that's kind of what happens over this bulk of episodes. Now we can kind of go back and you know talk about yes. in detail
1: for those for those who haven't listened the previous two uh, episodes of the podcast just very very quickly uh this show is about uh after basically an apocalyptic event these giant monsters called angels have been attacking the world and specifically japan and this government organization called nerve has built these basically giant mecha robots called avas and for some reason, at the beginning of the show, only like 14-year-old kids can pilot them. That's what Phil meant by the pilots. So there have been three main pilots we've been following. Now there is a fourth. Um, we are now in basically, if we want to split this into fourths, like say four quarters, we, we basically just watched the third quarter of this show, I think is fair to say, right? Yeah, um, right. Approximately. Plus awesome a movie, have about, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have about five. Also, um, I should bring this up. So you know they are there there are those two movies on Netflix that come out that take place after the show i couldn't find I was,
0: isn't the second one just a collection of clips
1: so i'm not sure but i was reading that it was that it the that movie not end of evangelion but the other one which came out the same year as end of evangelion is like an hour and 45 minute movie but the Netflix version they cut down to like 69 minutes or something so We got to look into that. Yeah. End of Evangelion is the big movie and we can watch that after. Um, So basically where we left off at the end of last week was that weird uh, first half clip show. Um, And then the second half of uh, that episode, episode 14, is when NERV, the organization, is trying to mix the pilots and AVA units to see if different pilots can cohabitate with different AVA machines And that's when we start to realize that Ray, one of the pilots, um, something is up with her that we don't really understand. But Shinji, our main boy, the main character of the show, tries to pilot Ava Unit Zero, which is Ray's Ava unit. And the thing just goes fucking apeshit with Shinji in it. It almost kills him. It tries to attack someone, either Ray or their mother figure. Misato the woman who kind of takes care of all the kids we don't really understand Um, there's this project Adam that's in Antarctica which has something to do with the apocalyptic event that happened 15 years ago which they think is like some piece of the first man and now we get to this chunk of episodes so Phil what I was hoping we could do is just briefly go episode by episode I have um, just like a brief one sentence summary of each episode. And I thought maybe we could touch on anything that we found interesting, unless you had uh, a different way you wanted to go about this chunk. Well, let, let, let yeah, let me try this and see if it spurs anything. And if not, we can just talk about it more generally. Okay, so episode fifteen is our next is our first episode of this chunk, and that's where we see Misato and Kaji, that kind of stud guy, who was uh, responsible for, for bringing the pilot Asuko over. They hook up again, and it seems like he is investigating Nerve somehow. Like he seems to have ulterior motives for being there, right? And this is, he, he's a double agent of some sort. And this is the first episode where we find out that Ray, who we're starting to get suspicious of, is basically being, like, incubated in this liquid tube way underneath Nerve headquarters by Ikari, who's the head of Nerve, who's also Shinji's father. That's kind of the big reveal of the first episode. Now, episode 16, which is the second of our chunk, is up until this point of the show, I think, the clear best episode so far. Between 1 and 16, this is the best episode. This is when Shinji's statistics as a pilot finally overtake Asuka's, and she gets pissed off. We have the 12th angel attack. This is the angel that looks like a big spherical ball, but then becomes a giant shadow on the floor and starts sucking up everything above it, buildings, Eva machines, whatever. It ends up taking Shinji down with him. They think it's like a sea that takes him to another universe or something. And this is the first real psychedelic episode where Shinji starts to kind of explore his inner consciousness and deal with like the duality of man and is the Shinji who is himself the same as the Shinji who Rei thinks he is or Asuka thinks he is or his dad thinks he is? Are they all the same Shinji or are they, are they all different people? These are the types of thoughts that are going on in Shinji's head while back at Nerve HQ they're trying to figure out how to defeat this angel who was attacked who they think is basically like a shadow lake and how to get shinji back out of it and while this happens shinji and the eva unlock something together and we get this massacre against the 12th angel he the the eva machine appears out of the sphere that's floating above the the ground it's like an orgy of blood and guts and viscera and the um uh, after that happens, um, the teacher Misato gets very suspicious about the Avas themselves. She starts to think of them perhaps maybe a bit negatively, like maybe they're not the saviors we were hoping they'd be. And this leads us into understanding a bit about the origin of the Avas, And we come to find out that they were a copy of the first angel or maybe something else. Now that blonde scientist who we talked about earlier, um we come to find out that she is also involved with Ikari and the secret motives of Nerve and the SEAL organization. I know this is all very complicated.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to summarize every single episode in this kind of detail, to be honest. Like, this is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we're... Go- no, I, just, I was going to say, like... I mean, I know these are all, like, important beats, and I I don't mind talking about them. I was just going to say, we're going to go a long time if you want to like, go into detail about the plotting of every episode. Like, I, I, I would... I'm, you know, just I'm more concerned about
1: time. Okay, go ahead. What do What do you want to talk about?
0: No, I nothing. Okay. I, I, you know, not, not 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 nothing. But I'm saying more. You know, uh, outside of that, well, I, I was just curious.
1: Just lead the way. I'll I'll follow you then. What What What's your first like?
0: I mean, my takeaway has been just the the changing of the visual style of the movie and or of the show and the way it's been slowly incorporating new styles of animation and the way it's played with editing and uh, some of the things that we talked about before that I think stood out as cheap, like choices in terms of saving money by not showing their mouse moving or by holding on a still frame longer. I think it's only gotten more interesting in terms of how it's playing with that. And if it was at some point a financial decision to cut back on the number of frames or anything, I think at this point it's using it to its advantage. And Yeah, I think it's... I mean, I'm really into where it's gone. I think... Yeah,
1: there's one episode where it's like an entire episode of trippy psychedelia and then the last two minutes are a poise sex scene where it's just a still frame of a glass and a cigarette and an ashtray
0: for like five yeah and there's like sex going on during that or he's like teasing her like in the middle of it and like it's a long it's like
1: what are you putting inside me yeah and we're we're just sitting on a still image not even animation one still frame for two minutes long after the most tripped out Lynchian craziness that you've ever seen in an animated show.
0: Well, yeah. And that on top of, I think there are moments, I think especially because during these episodes, Shinji has been pushed to his breaking point. At this point in the show, he has really come to question his father and what his father's role in all this is. He doesn't quite remember his childhood, I think as clearly as he maybe initially thinks he does. And part of going back through this, whatever you want to call it, like psychological deep dive that the machines are kind of forcing him through as he's in this stasis. And it's kind of causing him to reflect on all of these things, whether it's his mother or the, like you said, the fucking mysteries of consciousness, you know, it's going pretty deep and the show is reaching pretty deep. And I, I know you mentioned when we were starting the show that, that it was going to, from what you had heard, go to these kind of crazy places. And I, I, not that I didn't believe you, but I think based on the first episodes, I kind of felt like I had a grasp on like, Oh, well, yeah, they're going to link up with the machines. And there's that kind of like conscious thing going on there. But this, the show's really running with it. And that on top of the religious imagery, like it's revealed that they have Adam, the first, uh, a- or the first angel and Adam, you know, obviously there's, and it's being hung on some giant cross and there's so much religious imagery and there's just a lot to chew on, whether it's through the, the way the show is technically being made or the story itself. And if you want, yeah. And then mixed in with that, you have these moments like with that giant shadow ball or whatever, where it's just fucking gallons of blood bursting all over the city. You know, it's, it's it's a crazy ride so far.
1: Yeah. There's so much to talk about that it's hard to find a starting point, especially with this group of episodes. This is by far the best stretch of the show so far. Yeah. I agree. Um, coincidentally, So uh, as I was kind of just going through the plot, um, that episode 16 I talked about where Shinji gets trapped inside this one particular angel. um, He ends up eventually uh, coming out of it and destroying the angel. But as a consequence of that, um, the, the angel that he was inside, you know, that big lake thing, it tried to assimilate the Ava that... Uh, shinji was in right so it tries to assimilate shinji as well and as a result of that um shinji and his Ava machine now are like hyperlinked together now what ends up happening as you said they end up getting uh there's this crazy thing that happens in nevada which is the second nerve station the whole thing uh disappears they lose an Ava machine they lose the entire base there's one leftover Ava machine that they ship to Japan, and they're looking for a fourth pilot, which ends up being one of Shinji's male friends. He is forced to fight. Shinji is forced to fight that pilot and that Ava machine at the orders of his dad. He refuses. They put in this dummy pilot machine, which is uh, modeled after Ray's personality, to take over. And Shinji's pilot, uh, or I'm sorry, Shinji's Ava against his will, massacres. This Ava slash Angel. And he later finds out. That his best friend was inside. Now where we've left things off. uh, The friend does somehow survive. Barely. But it, like you said. It breaks Shinji. He quits uh, Nerve momentarily. He tells his dad he never wants to see him again. He's getting these weird memories. Where he thinks his dad murdered his mom. And his mom's body. Isn't even in the grave. Where they go. To uh, remember, memorialize Akari's uh, wife slash Shinji's mom. Now, uh, eventually there's another angel attack. Uh, Shinji's friends are getting fucked up left and right. And he decides it's time to basically be a man, go back, get back in his Ava machine and fight this angel to save his friends. Fuck his dad. He's doing it for himself and for his friends. Right. So this is a big emotional coming of age moment. For Shinji, where he realizes what his purpose is and what he's doing this for. But as he does that, um uh and and fights this angel, he gets linked up with the Ava in such a way where his whatever readings or meters they're doing to quantify how linked up that these teen pilots and these Ava machines can be, uh, he basically goes off the charts with his Ava and this ava then becomes in a really crazy gruesome sequence this like primordial beast that starts like panting and grunting and crawling on all floors all fours and then it starts to eat the angel which is something we've never seen before oh yeah i forgot point, about that yeah yeah up until this point it's been like just straight up like mecca like almost like godzilla pacific rim type battles of like giant monster versus giant machine yeah um this thing with Ray piloting it starts to straight up eat the fucking angel, and everyone is freaked out, including everyone at nerve. This show is getting gorier and gorier, and more and more uh, psychedelic. And uh, what happens then is we realize that the the angels, um, or I'm sorry, the the Ava machines that these guys are piloting, like you said, are not machines they are based on humans they were modeled after humans and potentially i don't think correct me if i'm wrong phil but as far as we know at this point in the show there's a potential that the ava machines were given a will of their own in their creation yeah
0: i'm a little i was gonna maybe ask you a couple questions i think there's either one or two things that either the show has not answered or maybe i didn't understand it's uh, i'm not sure exactly on a couple of things um okay like, in terms of what exactly the relationship is of, the you know, where exactly the angels came from. I don't think the show's answered that yet. Um, but I think, I mean, the idea is that they have the original Adam, correct? And then they make the son of Adam? Or the sister?
1: So, the, yeah, they have... Um, I, I want to go in order so we follow the logic of the show. Sure, yeah. Uh, this This is what I understand so there is we got this hint of this project adam that the human instrumentality project is doing which is headed by ikari which is Shinji's father and this sila project which is like basically the the shadow organization behind nerve and what we come to understand is adam himself was this basically the first angel which is like this this god being that is modeled off of humans but is something beyond humanity and that's why these that's why these giant mech robots which actually aren't robots but are humanoids are called ava in the sense of adam and eve adam and ava so the avas are modeled after adam which is this primordial man this this uh uber human and it seems like what we've come to understand is Uh, the ulterior purposes for shinji's dad who runs nerve which is theoretically to protect humanity from the the attacks of these angels is really to try to create the next evolution in mankind something beyond humanity some type of new godlike form some blend between uh, humans as we know them now the eva machines that they are using the angels that they are quote unquote fighting but they're maybe not really fighting but just trying to understand and beyond that we don't know yet what we do know we've been getting these little breadcrumbs is that somehow connected like we said to 14 year olds kids around this age are very important and specifically the kids in shinju school all three pilots attend the same class as does the fourth pilot his buddy um, whose sister was hurt very early on we talked about Uh, in, I think, Shinji's first battle with an angel. He's the guy whose sister got hurt, and then he punches Shinji out, and they eventually become friends. He's now the fourth pilot. So there's there's all these little clues that we get, um, but basically where we've left off is uh, Shinji quits and then comes back. It looks like Rei sacrifices herself by detonating a bomb to try to defeat this one angel that eventually... Causes Shinji to come back and fight the angel. So we don't know Ray's status. That's episode 20. Or I'm sorry, episode 19. We don't know Ray's status at that point. But it seems like she blew herself up. Then Shinji comes back. Then he turns his Ava unit into this, like I said, this primal beast that eats the yeah. angel that he was fighting. It says he like syncs we... up
0: 400% with it.
1: Exactly. And now we get to episode 20, which is called Weaving a Story 2. Now, the clip show, episode 14 that we watched, was called Weaving a Story. So they're setting this episode up to be somewhat of a sequel, but it's not really a sequel because it is, it's is—it's like a clip show, but about events we haven't seen yet, which is really interesting. So this is what happens. Uh, the first half of episode 20 basically segments uh, the plot like the previous clip show did, but all events that took place after what we just witnessed in episode 19. After the the Ava machine eats the angel and rays exploded. And uh, the, the new pilot, the fourth pilot, whose name is Toji. I was going to say Toshi,
0: but I knew that was wrong. And so. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. like Toji or Toshi. Um, so it's all this information we get after that. And this is where it gets beyond trippy like just new heights of trippy this is when we find out that the angels are humanoids Um, this is where shinji basically has to fight his own internal struggle which is basically him uh, basically resisting the singularity is what it felt like like the perfect melding between man and machine he's going on this epic inner journey in his mind where he has sex with every woman in his life where he talks to ray as a little girl where he talks to himself as a young girl uh, a young boy where he talks to his dad at his mom's grave where he visits his mom even though she's dead i mean it is truly it is it's a true fucking acid trip in the best way possible yeah so so good
0: yeah and the animation So that yeah i was gonna say the animation is doing such unique and crazy things there, as well as I must say, the sound mix and design is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I, I've been watching on my laptop um for most for I would say half of the episodes, and with headphones on it, it's especially some of the when drops to silence because there's a lot of especially I was, just, I was gonna say, yeah, especially in these last few episodes, there's a lot of rapid cutting action scenes that are followed by total dropouts of sound and, going into weird abstraction or music or silence or voiceover and it's all quite beautifully weaved and I think like you're saying w- this came out in 1995 and it's impressive it would be impressive now and it's uh it's really interesting and like there's there's one shot I remember of like a breastfeeding baby and or it's a woman breastfeeding a baby and it's essentially it looks like a hand-drawn sketch on a notepad or something like that doesn't match the kind of animation at all of the rest of the show there's these kind yes, of like. Yes, I remember that too. There's these kind of like wiggly lines that reminded me of Persona. Um, there's shots of uh, Shinji on a train that uh, I have to believe were influential to Miyazaki on Spirited Away. I kept thinking of yep. uh, No Face on the train that was in Spirited Away when during those scenes and uh, and as we talked about in an earlier episode, the creator of this show would go on to voice one of the lead characters in a Miyazaki movie. So I think it's safe to say that Miyazaki saw this and yeah, I mean, like I've just been really taken by the craft and the, uh, the very clever use of the limitations that I think are pretty obvious, but I, what they're doing with those limitations is pretty incredible. And I think like what we said earlier is true. When we started reading like by episode 16, it really I think starts to di- di- diverge from the monster of the week just battling robots in the city if that's what you think the show is um it definitely gets into a lot more than that and i'm, I'm very tr- frankly very excited to see where it ends
1: me too and uh something i really want to give it credit for besides the aesthetics which we've raved about for the past 20 minutes the plot is getting so convoluted and it's really it's really trying to be about everything like literally everything yeah, like and it's religion, still, it's,
0: sex, science, blah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, like the, the notions of self, but also like the fate of the universe. And even though it's it's going for all of those goals, it's still able to dole out information in a very interesting way. So like we, we have that second clip show, which is called Weaving Story 2 Oral Stage, which goes back to um, psychology and psychoanalysis, like the oral stage – of, of human beings happens early on in their life and you could say the same thing that that's what the show is trying to talk about with the basically the stage of where the avas are at in their life and that also goes back to there's an earlier episode uh actually i think the episode right before is called introjection which is where uh um which is where shinji and the ava become so linked that he becomes an animal. That's the episode where he eats the an angel. That episode is called interjection. Interjection is a noun directly lifted from psychoanalysis. And that word introjection, not interjection, introjection means an unconscious process by which a person incorporates into his or her own psychic apparatus, the characteristics of another person or object. So this idea of assimilation or melding between two consciousnesses or two bodies or two life forms or whatever. But the show is very much trying to figure out that idea of like what is a personality? What is a person? what is um, What does it mean to be human or to be unique or to contain multitudes? All of this shit. So that's where we were left off in the main story. And the last episode we watched is basically... And this is what I want to really credit the show for because all of these heady ideas would be enough to sustain me. But then the last episode we watched is almost works as like a flashback episode to give us all of this background information that we've been kind of dying to know about like what happened in the year 2000 when the second impact took place. How yeah, did all these it's major called, it's figureheads the, of Nerve. Yeah,
0: it's called the birth of Nerve and it really goes into just how everyone got there. All the side characters. Yeah. More than Shinji. It's about it's kind of the episode that drops Shinji and is like, all right, here's how everyone else got here. Yeah.
1: Because what has happened in the the current timeline of the show is that double agent guy we were talking about has quote unquote kidnapped the heads of nerve. Um, and has forced the professor who's basically Ikari's sidekick to stand up to Project Sila and he goes and speaks before this council and they're all basically giant monoliths like something out of 2001 that's what i these thought like yeah. these like robot holograms who uh take the place of i assume that they're just like representations of the humans on the council and we just hear their voices but maybe they're not maybe they're robots who have human voices and we have we have reached some type of Singularity between man and machine already, and the show just is slowly doling out that information. I don't know, but um, basically, it seems like that double agent was killed, and that Ray was also killed as a child, and the version we are seeing in these tubes, who has no emotion and no memories and is unable to dream, is some humanoid or some robot or something. So there are all these, like, for every three bits of information we get to kind of cement where we are in the story, we're getting, like, 25 new questions and mysteries about this show.
0: Yeah, and we've only got, uh, what, five episodes left of the actual show before the movie?
1: Yeah, five episodes left. The the last episode we watched, every episode is about 23 minutes. The last one was about a half hour.
0: Yeah, I noticed that. That it was longer,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I think the the final half dozen episodes or maybe a couple minutes extra each. I don't know. But um, our plan is to finish this mindfuck next week. Yeah. Are we also going to watch the the first movie, at least, End of Evangelion as well? I assume, yeah. Or do yeah. you want to just stick to the movie or to the TV show well, and then wait a week?
0: I assumed that we would watch that movie... Um, and what, like I said, when I looked at the second movie, it said it, the summary of it was like a collection of clips summarizing the events of the series, or something like that. And I was like, oh well, okay. I, I don't know that we need to watch that. And yeah, I'll
1: look into it more because I, I, that's not what I saw. But who knows? We, we'll have to figure that out.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, we're we're flying blind here. But regardless, I, I'm I'm perfectly fine with next week doing episodes twenty two through twenty six, and then the end of Evangelion as the movie. Cool. Mixed with what I I guess we'll talk shop on mic here a little bit, like about what we want to do next week. But um, there's Shirley that comes out with uh, Elizabeth Moss. We could talk about uh, Space Force, the new Steve Carell Netflix thing. There's uh, Mrs. America, that FX show that just wrapped up that I've seen all of and I wouldn't mind talking about, but um, I, I don't think you've watched. And uh, I thought about there's a lot of big stand-up comedies on uh streaming these days that maybe we could talk about something but it's kind of up to you I, i'm fine with just talking neon genesis if that's all you want to talk about too so it's up to you
1: yeah it's weird because i feel like i could talk about the show for hours and hours and hours but it's so heady and convoluted that it's it's hard to gather our footing i mean i definitely think that'll be our main topic uh when i know space force dropped today when does shirley come out
0: i would assume next friday or this friday What what's today Today's Friday. Yeah, today's Friday. So the 6th is when I believe Shirley comes out.
1: Oh, so maybe they'll be... The 5th, yeah. Depending on when we record then. Well, let's say... I'm definitely planning on watching Space Force. I've been very excited for that show. Um, Let's say, for now, Neon Genesis and maybe the first few episodes of Space Force give a general impression. And maybe uh, Shirley will be thrown in there too. And... um, uh, I will let you know if I start Mrs. America. You think it's it's worth watching? You recommend it?
0: I've watched. Yeah, I will. I was gonna save it for my recommendations, but I mean, just yeah, r- a real quick recommendation. Yes, Mrs. America. Very good.
1: Very very good. Okay, so maybe I'll start that too. But definitely the big thing will be Neon Genesis. This is truly. I mean, uh, I'm glad you're digging it. Uh, it was a bit of a risk because neither of us are big anime um, consumers, but I think so far I gotta say this is. It's living up to the hype, especially now at the the point we're at. I feel like it's living up to the hype personally.
0: Yeah, I mean we're we like this weird, you know, diving into the subconscious dreamscape, you know, non linear, non narrative driven type television. So I think finding it in something that's action driven and genre driven as well is always going to be our our bread and butter.
1: Yeah, exactly. So please watch it, guys. It's on Netflix. Who knows how long it'll stay there? Because stuff leaves all the time. Like. My favorite comedy show, Comedy Bang Bang, is I think just left today. Sadly, so check it out before it's too late. All right.
0: Well, I mean, is there anything else? Is that all you wanted to say this week about these episodes? Anything else you wanted to touch on?
1: Uh, uh, no, it was uh, it was a true a true joy to watch those episodes. Though I really I cannot stress that enough. It's rare when you get to see something that unique and special, and uh, yeah. So I'm I'm very happy I got to see that.
0: Uh, The only thing, like, side notes I made that are not important notes, but they made me laugh. Um, I'm a big fan of the battery plugs and the fact that I just think that's a good story device in terms of giving them limited time and limited energy and kind of, like, restricting their movement. I like that they have these fucking, like, you know, anyone with a vacuum cleaner who's had to vacuum around a corner will understand what they're trying to deal with in terms of get, yeah. getting around these cities with these plugs. That cracks me up. I think that's a fun detail. And I also, I don't know if this has made you laugh, but it also kind of makes me laugh that you have these giant AVAs who are being operated and all they have are giant knives and giant guns. <laughs> like-
1: the giant guns. <laughs> There's one episode where uh, Asaku, oh God, why can't I ever remember her name? Asuka, Asuka. When she just goes nuts on, a, on an angel and she just starts firing bigger and bigger guns and i'm like so did they have to build like 60 foot long guns <laughs> <laughs> You know, like submachine guns that shit really cracked Instead me up of, i it, had to sit back and think about and
0: it and they don't even try to like attack them really any other way except for the avas do they
1: that's uh no but i mean the the only other the only time a non ava has defeated an angel is that like, microbiotic one that basically became a computer virus. Oh, so the, yeah, yeah, The, yeah. One, the, the one scientist uh, whose mother's brain is inside the Majak supercomputers defeated it. But other than that, it's always been, uh, like, might on might. But the one thing I, I got to say, this show is, especially these last couple episodes, as it's gotten trippier, it's also gotten way gorier. Yeah, they're, they're super yeah, violent. A lot of blood. And bloody. Um, but what I like about that, uh, besides being a horror fan and being okay with violence in my entertainment, it's not glorifying the violence, which the show has never been about, even when it was just a monster of the week show, it was never about the glorification of it because even back then it was dealing with like the, the longstanding trauma of Shinji, you know, first piloting one of those things and dealing with the destruction of another being, um, and it's about you know like this post apocalyptic environment and the the trauma that everyone is dealing with and I like that even though the actual battle scenes are super cool and unique and and different every time it's never about just like the glorification of the violence for the sake of that like it's always about something deeper which I really appreciate.
0: I agree. I'm excited to continue. I'm and uh, once again I thank you for kind of pushing me to watch it because I don't think I would have otherwise.
1: Um, oh, yeah, man. All
0: right. Well, uh, Tom, that is our show for the week. Why don't you tell the people what you would recommend they check out other than uh, Neon Genesis and all the other things we talked about besides Miss Carly Rae Jepsen and such.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm on book three of The Mistborn, the Brandon Sanderson fantasy series. Um, it's been very enjoyable. Those came out at uh, the in the aughts uh, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and coincidentally... Uh, The way Shinji kind of links up with his Eva, like super links up when the the Eva turns into a a beast, it's very similar to uh, the plot of these books. Um, There are these, you know, hyper humans called Allomancers who can use metals to make them either super strong or fast or... You know, see very well in the dark and basically they have to a human being has to like snap like they have to deal with some super traumatic event in their life or like be on the verge of death and that will allow them to snap and like unleash their their hidden abilities to um, manipulate metal certain metals in certain ways to give them enhanced human abilities so that it was fun watching Neon this week and seeing that similarity to the series of books I'm reading. So uh, the Mistborn fantasy series, which I've been reading for the last couple of weeks, I'm almost done with the trilogy and it's been really enjoyable. I would recommend those. Nice. Um,
0: what, if, if we don't get to talk about it next week or you don't have time to watch it, I would highly recommend uh, the finale of Mrs. America aired this week, episode nine. It's only a nine episode long Miniseries. It stars Kate Blanchett, Rose Byrne, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Margot Martindale, John Slattery, Gene Triplehorn, Tracy Ullman, Sarah Paulson. Uh, it's a big, huge cast of amazing actors doing great work. The, the show follows um, a bunch of uh, the 60s and 70s movement to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And it follows, each episode kind of follows uh, a different person in that movement and how they all kind of linked up together. Kate Blanchett plays Phyllis Schlafly, who is a conservative who is very much responsible for our current era of Trump and uh, uh, the alt right, that movement. She's very much one of the beginning parts of that. And the show kind of explores the birth of that movement and where it came from and uh, the fight for them to fight off things like the Equal Rights Amendment, which was led by Gloria Steinem, played by Rose Burns, and Uh, Other characters in the show, um, like Margot Martindale, plays a Belle Abzug, um, and all these other icons, like Betty Friedan, played by Tracy Ullman, and a few other people. And basically, it just tracks the history of these women and the women's rights movement. and And I think what's great about the show is that it presents different political point of views and different women. So you have like 20 main characters that are all women and each of them are approaching these women issues from a completely different perspective with different goals, depending on their race, sexuality, political affiliation, class, all these other things. And it kind of explains how we got here and what still needs to be done in terms of uh, achieving equal rights, not just for women, but for everyone. And, uh, it's a, it's a really wonderful show. I would really recommend it. It's on FX on Hulu. You can watch it there. And uh, if we want to talk in detail about it in the future, I'm more than welcome to do that. But otherwise, uh, just find time for it. I'm sure you'll hear more about it come come Emmy time. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. Did Shell like it? Shell cried every episode and is excited to rewatch every episode once it's over or now that she's seen it. She yeah, it was very. As I I think it helped explain a lot of the timeline and chronological, and uh, helped reintroduce her to a lot of ideas that you learn when you're, I think or people that you're learning through feminism and when you're learning about these kind of icons. And I think the show kind of humanizes them in a very important and interesting way and complex way. It's not just rooting for one side. Um, I think that's the best thing I can say about the show is the show is dealing with the failings of everyone. And, um, that's the best thing I can say about it. It's a very, very, very good show. And it's cool. from, uh, right. yeah, it's from, uh, 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 what's I can't believe I'm blanking on their name. Captain Marvel, uh, Sugar, Half Nelson. Um,
1: oh, Fleck and uh, Ryan Fleck. Yeah, and, yeah. Um,
0: they're the they're the main directors uh, behind and Bowden and Boden Fleck. Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. Yeah, they're the one. they yeah the people yes. who made those uh, wonderful projects. I would uh, definitely recommend you check this out from them.
1: Cool. Um, oh, uh, one last thing. Speaking of women and uh, pop stars. Do you know Rina Sawayama? No. Rina Sawayama just released her debut album. She had an EP a couple years ago. Um, but her her first full length uh, is called Sawayama. S-A-W-A-Y-A-M-A. Sawayama. She is an Asian-British uh, pop star. And her, her album, I've been pumping all week it's really interesting it's like this this mix of she's clearly influenced by britney spears and christina aguilera but there's also a lot of like hard rock in there there's a little bit of punk a little bit of rap um a little bit of like new metal even like she clearly wears a lot of influences on her sleeve but it's a very unique pop album and i find it highly highly enjoyable i know it's been very well reviewed which is why i found it in the first place um And I finally, you know, it's been on my list for about a month. It came out last month. And I finally started listening to it this week and ended up playing it like three or four times in a row. Really enjoyed it. So, Rina Sawayama's debut album, Sawayama. Check it out.
0: All right. That is the show for this week, I believe, right? Are we good? Yep. All right. Let's... Let's call it a show for the week. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every one of those helps us out. Thank you, Zach Pitts, for the theme music. Please check us out online. Leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. You can check us out on YouTube, as well as finding Tom at Bindi Tom Bindi. That's all one word. And you can find me at Phil on Twitter and uh, or Phil on Letterboxd. That's actually probably where you'll find me doing more updating. So look for us there. And, uh, Tom, I'll see you next week buddy, where we will be discussing, we'll figure it out, but we're going to definitely wrap up Neon Genesis Evangelion and might add something else on top of that. It'll be a nice little surprise. Hell
1: yeah. See you next week, Phil. Love you, love everybody. Uh, Justice for George Floyd.
0: Absolutely. Black Lives Matter.